Hi, welcome to On Writing, your podcast about writing communities and the terrible advice they give. And it is not St. Patrick's Day when you are listening to us. And it's not St. Patrick's Day here, but spiritually, it is our St. Patrick's Day episode. My name is Sean, he, him, and I just finished a yogurt soju, and I am now on to a, like, 5% boost rule brown ale. Uh, I am Chad, he, him, Faith, and Begora, and I'm drinking a Caliber Citrus Vodka. Ooh. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm MJ, she, her, and I'm drinking a peach soju. Aha. Yeah. We done went so, to the Korean grocery store. That's how you know. Mm-hmm. So I have to jump in and say that uh, people have made fun of me, and they're like, so what are you going to drink? Like this caliber citrus vodka? And they're like, well, that's very Irish. And I'm like, okay, so first of all, my Irishness isn't like up for debate. Just okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, so like I am just totally confident in my Irishness. And uh, like Henry shambling the streets, I'll drink anything. Speaking of, there's good news on that front. Do you want to you want to tell the, the good people of the world, Chad? Yeah, I decided to take a break because it wouldn't have any ritual significance on the novel that I was writing last year. And I was so close to finishing that I went, no, we'll finish it around St. Patrick's Day. And the day before St. Patrick's Day, I finished it. Most like animal 20,000 words at once, right? <laughs> yeah, so that's that was really funny because because I'm fucking writing it out. I'm like, okay, it's just a few more chapters. And I'm writing it out, I'm writing it out. I'm like, God damn, why are these, why am I getting a little fatigued on these words? Right? Like words aren't coming to me. And it was only a couple chapters. And then I did the math. And in 24 hours, I wrote 20,315 words. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh, that's why I was getting fatigued. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I don't remember, um, was it you or I who introduced Daniel O'Connell to add, like the groundwork of this motherfucker? I did. I introduced Daniel O'Connell, but uh, his roots were 100% in you and me talking about Kalen O'Sullivan. Oh, yeah. That when you were like, would this Liam guy have existed? I was like, oh, yeah, hang on. Let's check this shit out, right? Uh, <laughs> now, I didn't know about the dual thing that he did because I'm mostly interested in like the political and economic implications of revolution. But like, th- do you want us to talk about the Liberator for a second? Let's talk about the Liberator. Yeah, let's talk about the Liberator for a second on this hollowed day. Mm-hmm. So in the nation of Ireland in the 19th century, that's 1800s, by the way, in case you're confused. Uh, there was, in fact, this institution known as the Anglican Church of Ireland. Uh, and because the head of the government of the greater commonwealth was, in fact, the head of the church, that meant that you had to pay tithes to the church as part of your government obeisance because every re- in every person in your commonwealth was also a member of your religion per se, right? Uh, this was a problem because the population of Ireland, the vast majority of the population of Ireland, did not, in fact, uh, respect Windsor Castle. They <laughs> they prayed towards Rome uh, and, like, mm-hmm. the Pope and all his saints, uh, some of whom were kind of fucked up. Uh, so, for instance, I've been having to deal a lot with the great specter of Padrasera, you know, the genocidal maniac who uh, whose street crossed over with Indio Muerto Avenue uh, in mm-hmm. Santa Barbara. That's fucking dark. Yeah. That guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you would pay your actual fucking government taxes, right? 
which is often not too stifling unless you own land because the land tax was extremely stifling under England. We've mentioned before that England didn't know how to fucking write a tax scheme, something that China knew how to do in 1000 BC, and that Germany eventually figured out how to do and tried to export to uh, uh, England, and to which they replied with hideous violence and a bunch of heroic playwriting. Well, and and England's tax codes were like so petty too, where they were like, "Hey, is this to generate revenue, or is this to like make less Gaelic?" And they're like, <laughs> like drop the shades, and they're like, "Yeah, brother, that's you. You get it." <laughs> um, so uh, you would pay your taxes, and then you would pay your tithe. And like, if you don't know about like, I don't know re-debt the first 500 years to discuss like the nature of currency people didn't have a lot of liquid currency before uh uh the institutions of modern banking and convenience and which meant that like being able to pay a tithe that you were required to pay was basically fucking impossible and yet the church of england imposed tithes on all Irish people across the board to fund the construction of, you know, Anglican graveyards and Ang- Anglican churches that nobody fucking used, or rather the landholding most elite class used. Mm-hmm. Enter Which the is, scene. Well, I, I want to comment real fast before he enters the scene, which is, it's really funny to me because I'm a Protestant and I, I make like no hidden facts about the fact that I'm a Protestant. But like, uh, I'm not an Anglican first and foremost. Uh, and you own no land in Ireland, yeah, as far as and you I know. own no land in Ireland. But like, it's not a theological dispute. It was literally a cultural dispute, mm-hmm. and like, it's literally bullshit to look over at the land of the Catholics and be like, "Hmm, that's just too much Catholics. Let's drive you into poverty to force you to become something else." As the Irish are like, "I didn't. I don't." Well, the thing is, when the fucking the thing is, when the fucking caliphate did it to Spain, they let everyone keep all of their stuff and then made all the architecture and culture like nine times better, right? Like, Mm -hmm. we can all agree that that was an improvement, right? Like, we got the guitar uh, out of it, exactly, and we got all kinds of elaborate like tile work and cool like arch and like. Well, and this has to fuck with MJ. All we got out of the oppression of the Irish people, uh was an absolute monopoly on the beauty of Irish poems all being about how much they hate England. Oh, yeah. like, imagine all the other subjects that, that beautiful fucking people could have given us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean, Crowley did get kicked down a flight of stairs as a direct result of Irish nationalism. So we'll talk about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. But uh, Enter the scene. Enter the scene. Daniel O'Connell, whose name is like Daniel O'Connell. If you want to go full Oscar Gaelicky on it. And, Which, uh, ironically, ironically, uh, ironically, he later didn't want to do. Yes, yeah. uh, that he was a, a big dick about things being in Gaelic. And he's like, well, no, we should actually adopt English culture and speak in English because it'll make our uh, culture more apprehensible on the world stage. To which I say, say fuck the fuck off, Gaelic wolf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's so, uh, Daniel O'Connell is so weird. Because he did so much and he was such a lion figure, but he was so strange about certain things where like mm-hmm. he was so passionate about compromise on some things that seem abhorrent. Mm-hmm. Like, like in addition to all the great shit that he did, he also went, let's meet England halfway and speak their language and kill our own. 
which is like directly referenced in my novel. It's kind of <laughs> it's the PR gaffe that causes uh, a group in my novel. I guess you could say like the protagonist side to kind of become somebody's because they all jumped on that PR gaff. Mm-hmm. Um, well, in many ways, and I'm sorry if this is annoying, but I would say he's kind of like a Bernie Sanders of his day where he gets like a huge revolutionary push behind him. And then it's suddenly just like, yeah, but I support my good friends who are willing to compromise in this position, <laughs> who are willing to work with the system as it exists. And then the fucking potato famine happens. And he's like, oh, shit, I probably should not have uh, compromised in this position. But meanwhile, it's weird because the one thing he wouldn't compromise on like at all was America oh, yeah. where the Irish are like, just go to America, talk to them. Okay. They have a lot of money and a lot of guns and a, strangely a lot of sway with Europe uh, or with Britain, at least like use them to, to pressure them about Irish independence. And his stance is no, I will never speak to America. They're like, okay, mm-hmm. but why? And he's all like, because they have slavery and it's abhorrent to me. That is trading one master for another. I will not set foot in America until every slave is freed. It's like, yeah, but you killed your own language. So, like, <laughs> don't understand. Also, all of the money was in fucking abolitionist America, right? Like, yeah, that's also you could fucking not- cash those checks with zero guilt, right? Like, yeah, we're not mm-hmm. asking you to go down to fucking Richmond. Yeah, there's not like, oh, go down to Atlanta and fundraise fucking Daniel <laughs> O'Connell. That'll be fine, right? Like, no, shit, they'll kill you for being Irish there. Like, what are you talking about? No, but um, so what he did in very much his, like, Bernie Sanders of fucking 1822 was that, like, for just just inflation-adjusted uh, $5, we can raise a donation that'll, like, break the back of England. And he was right, because he did, like, penny donations. Which no one had done because, like, old school banking laws are fucking wild. And you know how, like, um, asset forfeiture works now, right? Like, where the cops can, like, indict, like, $250,000 in the backseat of a Honda. Like, Mm -hmm. same basic principle. They're like, how did you get that money? And you're like, I got it via charity and donation. They're like, a lively story. It looks like you're going to come up with 357,000 signatures. Uh, But he was so ingrained in like the infrastructure of Ireland that he was able to come up with the signatures and by doing so he created a like political class of poor people at the time right yeah uh, yeah and all of this was to the one purpose stop the fucking anglican tithe right like yeah. there is no church of ireland that's a fake fucking thing you're fucking <laughs> lying right like and even if there was the pope wouldn't be in fucking windsor castle right like, Right, and where a lot of this compromise came from was that he was trying to lead by example. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can't fault a lot of the dude's ethics. I can only fault his implementation and his lack of pragmatism. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he spent a lot of time around, like, Whitehall, making connections with people in Parliament and whatnot, and thought, okay, if I show them that I'm willing to give a little, then they'll give a little. But it turns out the English are a bunch of bastards, and they're like, ha, the Irishman is giving. Chomp down, boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And this but, is uh, like demonstrated repeatedly, right? Because it's like the Hitler letters to Mexico, right? That's like, you should attack America in the back so that like we can have more Nazi shit in Europe, right? There was like Napoleonic missives to like free Ireland, ha, 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 right? Uh, and then the Irish were like considered like traitors by default just because the letter was sent, even though a lot of Irish brigades fought in the Napoleonic Wars. Yeah, the fucking 27th. Yeah. Right? Uh, like people like... I'm pretty sure more Irish blood was spilled in the Napoleonic Wars than uh, English blood. Yeah, the only one who, I mean, I, it's really fucking Russian blood and Prussian blood who, like, okay, scored yes. the high ranks, plus French blood, obviously. But most <laughs> of that was consumed by whatever lives off the sides of the roads in Russia. <laughs> and, and as Sean so eloquently put it, I never considered it, I had never considered it this way. But also by werewolves. Yes! <laughs> right, because, like, I have never heard a more apt description than, like, imagine walking through the frigid snow in a blizzard, you can barely see the guy in front of you, and these fucking werewolves to call themselves Cossacks come in and rope six of you in right away. Yeah, I don't remember who said the original quote, but that's like that, that in these lands there is something that lives very, that looks very much like a Russian, but like <laughs> it eats the flesh of men and horses and the roads and turns it all into the same soup from which he drinks, right? Like, and that's a paraphrase of the quote, but like it, it's very much like there were no. Napoleon didn't lose any fucking battles in his second Russian campaign, right? He just kind of, like, <laughs> went there and lost all his forces after winning every battle and was like, wow, that was fucking crazy, bro, right? There was no fucking Stalingrad for him, right? He just won every single one and then, like, came back and was like, somehow I have 200,000 men less than when I started. This is fucking <laughs> I Well, I love the fact that you and I talked about when we were watching that video that Napoleon's plan in Russia was literally like, I'll just go find out whatever the like biggest, most important centralized location is and knock it down. And after he went there, he went, there is no central location. Nobody cares about anything in this country. Yeah. <laughs> He's the whole declaring thing about, like, a war of states on like a place that isn't a state. Yeah, like, um, and I'm sorry, audience, that we're going off on this uh, thread, but can we talk about wearabooism for a second? Oh, yeah. Of course. Oh, yeah, let's talk about uh, wearabooism. And Marjorie, it, it connects are you to from, writing. It, well, oh, it yeah. connects to writing because you all put Rommel in your novel, you sons of bitches. <laughs> yeah, and fashion aesthetics, right? Like, because, I mean, mm -hmm. Hugo Boss, right? Uh, but, Marjorie, are you familiar any percent with um, wearabooism? You should explain it for anyone that is me or not me, you know, everyone. Okay, well, if you so wearabooism. If you know what weabooism or what a weaboo is, you're halfway there and on the right axis. Okay, to, to pull back a step, before we discuss wearabooism, we must first define our term. What is weabooism? Weabooism is a, per, a pejorative term for someone, specifically an American or European, Western European, uh, looking at Japan and saying, OMG, such superior culture, so kawaii desu. <laughs> you know that thinking, there's people that own many mall katanas and love anime way too much. Yes, and but characteristically, it's not just defined by anime fandom. It's the thought um, that they would be socially accepted in Japan based on oh, their yeah. consumption habits. Yeah, uh, the people that can tell you uh, that it's a trilby, not a fedora, because of the exact arch on uh, the band. Those I mean, are that's me, but that's also because I just fucking love like hat details and taxonomy, right? 
Yeah, yeah. So that is where you have the Venn diagram intersection. But fortunately, it's not in the part where you don't bathe and mm-hmm. are petitioning the Japanese government to let you read with native Japanese girls. As yes. the Japanese government writes back saying, we've asked you to stop writing to us. The, right. the funniest thing on that category is that like uh, a big aspect of weebooism is specifically like a uh, gendered dialectic that says like Japanese women are subservient and hyper feminine, right? I've been seeing that go in other like circles that it says like Latin women are subservient and hyper feminine. To what? which I can just say, just fucking go for it, bro. I'm sh- yeah, yeah, t- yeah, bro, totally go for it. It'll be fine. Yeah. Don't worry. The curiosity, how much do you like the flavor of La Chancla? <laughs> yeah, coming in at fucking 120 miles an hour horizontally. Right? Like, yeah. yeah <laughs> See, no, Chad, I, you know, you know, motherfucker, right? I had to explain this concept to MJ that, like, it's an intercontinental ballistic missile. It breaks the sand barrier between you uh, and your jaw, right? right. Like, so, and Nana can whip that shit up from the ground in, like, 0.0004 seconds, right? It ha- they need a fucking, like, tachyometer to fucking detect the sandal moving through space from foot to hand, right? Right. So I'm Irish-blooded, and I grew up predominantly around my Irish Catholic grandmother's house, whose whose mom bafflingly insisted on being called Oma. Mm -hmm. And I thought for the longest time that Oma was just like an in... It was like a diegetic term for our family. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Until, like, this German friend told me about her Oma, and I went, "What Wait, are you doing with Oma too? What? <laughs> what are you doing with my words? Or are you my cousin?" Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason I brought that up is because my father was raised by Cubans, right? Mm-hmm. So I have. It, it's really weird that I turned out Protestant. <laughs> you have two different bands of Catholic coming in. Like every time you try and book an airline, it just sends you to Vatican City, and you're like, "That's weird." Exactly. Like, yeah, I, yeah. Every single fucking Google search tries to auto fill in like various locations of relics of the saints. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, and on this side, a particularly charming encrusted skull of Saint Joseph, and on the other side, a birdcage. It looks nice. <laughs> But but because I grew up in Southern California, around the Latino enclaves, among the Cubans, I'm intimately familiar with the wilds of La Chancla. Yeah. And its ability to accelerate at speeds heretofore unprecedented by any known vehicle, right? It's some X-Files shit where it's like, and then it accelerated perpendicular and we didn't realize it could do that, right? Well, it's also funny because it gets a speed boost. Mm -hmm. Uh based on whether or not um, if the kid's running away it goes faster well, it, right? like it's, it's no. maximum speed is if mama asks for something and you swear under your breath that's yeah. when it fucking like like Juan clean your room fuck Chancla is there they, find, they there. find that shit. They only the only way to detect the Chonkless passage is by the fucking kid crying and also the like neutrino detector in Japan. It's like a big <laughs> pool of water to try and see if antimatter spontaneously comes into existence because it <laughs> breaks the speed of light and just throws <laughs> off tachyons, right? I, I, mm-hmm. I honestly think that like Hispanic moms legitimately have Jarlaxle's bracers, but instead of summoning daggers, it summons Lachonkless. Okay, as someone with the, with the family, right? And I have a background similar to Chad's, but like far less specifically Cuban, right? Just like, 
various parts of Mexico. Uh, it's grandmas that go at Mach fucking 15. Grandmas and aunties, like, especially when it's an aunt that's not really an aunt, that's just an aunt of indiscriminate relation, right? I, I saw a Reddit post. This is going back to our Earth thesis. But it's like, am I the asshole for wanting people to use the correct definition of uncle? That it's yes. like next question. <laughs> yes, and it's like okay. In most cultures, people who are your aunts and uncles are just every fucking buddy, right? <laughs> All the homies. Yeah. It's basically anyone that like your dad or your mom are comfortable leaving around. Exactly right. Like if they're allowed to be in a room with you alone as an adult, then you're they're your auntie or uncle, and that includes like coaches, teachers, whatever. They're they're aunties and uncles, but they have uh, specifically that title until they lose that title, and they're no longer your coach or auntie uh, or your teacher until they like regain that title or they have that title for all eternity. So, for instance, if I'm your coach, they're going to be uh, your coach for all eternity. But yes, looping all the way back around uh, from. The notions of like weird fash guys who want like submissive women and are looking for them and let me tell you all the wrong places, right? Mm-hmm. Like to notions of weebism, which is a pejorative term for someone who fetishizes culture, specifically in a sexual way, specifically in a dialectic gendered way, to wearabooism, where wearabooism is someone who treats Nazism and the Nazi Germany with the same kind of composure that people take, same poise they take when talking about like Japan and with its media industry. Yeah, but they try to launder it under the Iron Cross. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I mean, that's a lot of like the the fucking components of weebism, right? Like, is that they'll. They'll talk about these specific things. And we had talked about it before that the people who went ape shit when like Bridget is like, yeah, I'm trans actually. And they're like, that's a mistranslation. Or like when Chainsaw Man says like union job, do, 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 paid time <laughs> off, do, do, do. Right. They're like, that can't be that way because Japan is like this bastion of cultural conservatism. You would never talk about union jobs. And it's like, dog, do you know how many jobs are unionized in Japan? Right. Like, <laughs> You think those train guys and those high vis vets and suits don't have a fucking union? Okay, chief, let's let's move on with the discussion, right? But no, absolutely. Wherever guys have to do a little bit of like social kung fu to avoid like just raising up the fucking flag, right? Like the Kriegsmarine flag, and being like, uh, yeah, hang on, let me just get my face punched in with a bike lock, right? Wasn't yeah. there like an anime with girls who turned into like tanks and shit and there was like a Nazi one too? So wouldn't this be like the, the representation visually of what we're talking about is the like anime babe that turns into the Nazi tank? Oh yeah, absolutely. This there's absolutely anime that have wearaboo tendencies. In fact, there's a lot of anime that are specifically Nazi oriented or fashion oriented. Uh Chad, you had mentioned a while ago that like there's the worst version of Isekai would be like reincarnated into the Third Reich's military organization. Yes. There's literally an anime of that called Tanya the Evil. Ah, uh, Tanya, <laughs> no. Like, and I want to just hang on, let me find a fucking picture. Yeah, because um, we were talking about it while I was playing the most Varibu game of all time. Uh, actually, it's the second because Sean introduced me to that game where you make wonder weapons to change the course of the war. And I'm like, that's it. That is it. That is your 1247 bullet shooting rifle. Okay. 
you're you're engineering a second army on the other side of the mountain. Your chief engineering assistant is named Winnetow. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and speaking of, I'm just like linking it to you in the Discord. Any second now. Bam, there it is. All right, let's look. Uh, the Saga of Tanya the Evil, Carlos and Anna Brand, read by Jerome Arcirio. Man, that is. You like, like that frack tour in there, right? Like, you like that Iron Cross? Like, there we go. There it is. Hello, I, Iron Cross. It actually right kind of bothers me that, like, after Operation Paperclip, we totally laundered the Iron Cross into being like, this is how you like what Germany did, but not what the Nazis did. And it's like, but they're the same thing. They're the same fucking thing. Hitler's the one who's giving them to you, right? Like, <laughs> No, no. Didn't you read the? Didn't you read all of the autobiographies? The the generals, they they fine. They took the Iron Cross, but then when Hitler turned around, they frowned a little. Yeah, they were like <laughs> they secretly had their fingers crossed behind their back. Look at that one. That's, that's a toy okay. you can purchase. That's uh, that's oh, not dear. a toy you should purchase. Don't don't no. purchase that toy. Don't. Uh, uh, so how did we get to Veribuism, by the way? So we got to Veribuism because, like, the notions of, like, laundering these ideologies and, like, the structures of people who believe in, like, these things. We were talking about the video games that we were playing in that context. Mm -hmm. uh, and if, like, future Sean realizes that we didn't get this way and there's just been too much of this moose drill, hang on one second. <laughs> Cam finished. All right. Uh, then if we didn't get there, then I'm sure future Sean will insert a little voice clip about how we did actually get here. Hello, this is Sean from the future. We got here by talking about Napoleon. But it's worth noting because uh, like everything else, like this is one of the fucking theses of this podcast, low key. And I'm not trying to get us back on the rails because I saw the rails in the distance. And like uh, Doc Brown said, where we're going, we don't need rails. Well, yeah. and we have to get past the duel before we get back on the rails. So, oh my Christ, we'll, yes. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that after the Veribu thesis. So yeah. the itinerary is Veribu thesis, segue that to the duel, get back on the tracks. There is no tracks. The tracks okay. were a lie all along. Rail C. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Moby Dick. Uh, I, you know, Sean, if we hadn't been so dismissive of the Axis, we could have had Mussolini in here running the trains on time. He never ran any train on time! Fucking... <laughs> <laughs> You can have okay. any fucking you know government. You know what? That sounds like an allied myth to me. Okay. <laughs> I guess the victor really does write history, and what the victor wanted to write about was the trains not running on time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so, like, so, like, um, uh, yes. So, knocking down these pins one at a time in proper cricket fashion. Uh, fucking... Uh, where Buddhism is particularly insidious because it goes back to one of our theses about the writing communities in general, and this is why you will see where Buddhism in writing communities all the fucking time, all the time, hundred percent of the time. Like every writing community I've seen has had some element of someone doing Nazi apologia in the guise of like where Buddhism. Not that they're distinguishable, but I'm just saying that they'll they're like if you see someone um actuallying about World War II, and it's not like you know like a meme or whatever. Or about something like the U.S. won World War II single-handedly as depicted in Medal of Honor 2, right? Like, <laughs> it's probably fucking... I, let me actually respond to anybody here going, who, who can feel the will actually starting, right? Mm -hmm. May is maybe flirting with Verbo. First of all, Rommel sucked at what he did. Yeah. Uh, he sucked so fucking bad that everything that you know about him 
is the uh, British publishing books to make Monty look good because yes. Monty is very bad at making himself look good. Uh, and as and- a follow up to that, like um, the the power of like the German weapons program and German excellence in general was something that was exalted, like fictive, right? Yeah. Like it wasn't a real fucking thing, which is why no. they didn't win. Right. <laughs> and that leads me to my second point, which is, well, if it wasn't for the Asiatic hordes or all of these things, and they, they pretty it up, but what they're trying to dance around is, and if it wasn't for our baffling amount of mishaps, mm-hmm. then uh, we totally would have won. Okay. Germany, you got your shit kicked in so fucking hard during Operation Market Garden, our biggest failure in the war, even bigger than Catherine Pass. During Operation Market Garden, we were so bored of beating German ass that we just started experimenting in dropping tanks out of planes. Because if we spent the money on tanks that experimentally dropped out of planes and they did nothing, it would have no impact on the outcome of the war. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So also no, start inventing new amphibious vehicles, which is how you know that someone has gotten bored in the military industrial right, complex, right? Right, right. Like somebody built a Liberty ship in six days and went, "There has to be something else to do." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we finished any percent boat that could cross the fucking Atlantic, right? Like, what else is there? Uh, but yes, so like, Wereboism fundamentally takes the form of three angles, right? Well, the first one is that the German populace was disconnected from the Holocaust, right? This is the boy with striped pajamas uh, anglophone myth that goes so hard. That's like I don't know, even know who the who the the Rex here is. I, I Hip, Hibbler. I, who's this Hibbler guy? And it's like you fucking know who Hitler is, right? Because like, mm-hmm. they were publishing the fucking efforts of the Holocaust in real time, right? And like talking about how like the Jewish question. Right, like, well, that first fucking call when they discussed the final solution was not made public. All their efforts along those lines lines were made public, and then that's the one that always fucking got me in these conversations where, like, well, the German people didn't really know. Okay, you lived in a house that a Jew used to live in. (laughs) Exactly. You watched the Jews get marched to the ghetto. You watched nothing go into the ghetto. You watched the Jews all get on trains, and then you went. Well, they're probably just moving them into nicer Jew complexes. They're moving them to fucking Poland too, which exists somewhere out in the middle of somewhere, right? Like, but but getting off the 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 like fucking super heavy topic there, uh, but still kind of adjacent. To, I, it's weird because I think like the best response was actually of all things in Band of Brothers when uh, when uh, Weber or Webb or whatever is losing his shit after seeing the concentration camp. And he's beating the shit out of that baker. And the baker's like, no, no, I'm not a Nazi. And he's like, wow, it's weird how many not Nazis I'm finding in Germany. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there was a line by a Frenchman who said he was in like the Vichy government. And he says, yes, it was very lonely being the only man in the Vichy government. Everyone else was in the resistance, right? <laughs> 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 Obviously, he's being facetious, right? But yeah. like the... Um, uh, that is also the nicest uh, war crime that ever happened was the liberation of Dachau and obviously any of the Soviet liberations of these war camps because they allowed the prisoners to beat the guards to death, right? Like, and this was yeah, I love I love the war crime of which is a loaded sentence, by the way. But <laughs> I love the war crime of oh oh look, have you ever seen this? This is an M1 Garand. This is a shovel. 
Uh, Sergeant says I need to take a walk for about. Yeah. <laughs> I need to look really closely at something over there, right? Like, yes. Uh, and this is something that the U.S. and Soviet troops all did, right? That they were all like, man, it'd, be, it'd suck if somebody beat all these prisoners to death with a ha- fucking ball-peen hammer. Oh, well, I'm going to go take a piss. Don't, don't get in any trouble, you crazy kids. <laughs> but no, getting away from, again, as Chad said, getting away from the darker topic. The uh, the next form that this takes is that, like, the military was still, like, an honorable organization defined by some kind of, like, not nat- nationalist, but, like, patriotic notion of self-defense. You can be this kind of fucking samurai dude in the military, like, disconnected from your political opinions and the political opinions of your superiors and just kind of like fulfilling the noble warrior's code in the battlefield, which is entirely fucking bullshit because fascism requires the fucking politicization of the military at every level, right? The military is a political apparatus under fascism. And if you have military rank in a fascist government, you have political and fascist implications, right? Mm -hmm. Wasn't it in like fucking, okay, yeah, in... It was in 1933 or 1944 or 1934 when they literally changed the oath swearing ceremony of uh, of the here. And by the way, Veraboos, it's the here, not the Veramok, you stupid fucks. <laughs> uh, they they changed the oath of the here, and I'm sure it affected the whole Veramok, but specifically the here, which is the army, uh, to a personal oath to Hitler. Mm-hmm. So, like there was no point when you were rolling across Poland that you weren't doing it because fucking Uncle Adolf told you. Yeah, absolutely. And you knew what was happening because many of the fucking officers were also initiated into the SS, right? Like the, the one thing that I'll say, the one thing that I'll say, I everybody has those really stupid ideas about what about like Versailles and one of they're like, well, Versailles was too punishing. Well, no, it wasn't punishing enough. That was the problem. Uh, the the one thing that I'll concede is first of all Germany's idea that Poland doesn't exist is just assholeism. However, it's maybe they shouldn't have taken the ancient land of the Teutonic Knights, kept it as German, and put a Polish border crossing that Prussians had to pay a Polish toll and get Polish permission to go visit. That one may have antagonized the beast a little. <laughs> uh we're talking about Konstak? Yeah. Kons- I can't fucking I my face can't pronounce the yeah, fucking fracture like from it. Yeah, it's called like Koningrad now. And yeah. and I'm like I'm like that okay, you're all looking at Russia Ukraine. That's gonna be World War Three, okay? When the Bolsheviks run co- fucking Konestad, like that's it. The Germany has just been sharpening their knives for the past fucking eighty years. Yeah, but I mean, I think they're more uh, that the idea of a modern Germany is more associated with like economic potentialism and like. No, it is. I, I I'm making a joke. No, yeah, absolutely. But I, I just want to diffuse it, I, right? Like, okay, uh, let me let me make it clear. I don't think Angela Merkel passed off a passed off a baton and a Manila folder to the new prime minister. Going, these are our plans to get back to Leningrad. <laughs> I mean, then again, you never know, right? Like, but yes, why Werbuism is important is because, like, it's it's myths exactly like, and I don't mean like approximately like or resembling in like met- metonymic form. I mean exactly like talked about H.P. Lovecraft, where he said when you were say like this motherfucker was a racist and an asshole, and I think he's in super hell right now, right? Mm-hmm. They respond with like 
Well, actually, and that's where you need to fucking pump the brakes as hard as you physically can. Because the moment at which someone is trying to divorce something, a component, a little piece of the Holocaust, of the nightmare that was World War II, away from the greater mass, it's an element of disbelief in that greater mass, right? So okay. it's, um, it's creating like a, oh, well, there were both sides and, oh, the Soviet Union was monstrous. So it's actually good that we were supporting like these guys throughout time. And it was actually, I mean, complicated, like wouldn't their economic. And this is all like classic sea lion, right? Like raising questions that don't like actually disable the thesis, but like takes time to answer. And distract from that er, er thesis of this guy was an asshole. I'm glad he's dead. He's in super hell, right? Like, mm -hmm. and Rommel, you know where he is? Super hell. Super hell. There you go. See, that wasn't so hard. Right? You know what's really funny? You know what's really funny is that as far as I'm concerned, Rommel destroyed his own myth, by the way. Yeah. Because Rommel had a chance to completely redeem himself when the good, the Avengers walked up to him and said, would you like to kill Thanos? And he said, no, Thanos gives good dental. Yeah, like the, the November fucking plot. Uh, I mean, I don't really need, I, like, I don't need to see this as a political issue really quick. I, mean, I would prefer to see, like, no, exactly. Yeah, you literally had the chance. Yeah, Tom Cruise was there, right? Like, we saw yeah. I Okay, so it is possible. It is possible that what he did was he made a call and chose Hitler over Scientology. <laughs> so like maybe we insane. should be respecting Rommel's inhuman struggle <laughs> <laughs> okay but yeah so but also back to the duel so that we can get okay. back on the tracks I, I just okay. want to knock this last thing out for a second okay, there will be elements of wearabooism when you talk about like uh, warrior monk mentalities and like militarism and military leaders under evil leaders these are all elements of wearabooism Right, like, and you can see this in terms of like Vader, right? Like, because Vader is portrayed as a fucking evil piece of shit until the moment that like, like he redeems himself and kills Palpatine, right? Because he's willing mm -hmm. to fucking kill and maim Luke for no reason and kill his friends and do all this like extrajudicial shit. And fucking Vader is Rommel, right? Where it's like he's willing to work with evil and be evil until he says like, "Join me and let's beat evil and be more evil together." Right? So when you see these things coming up. Watch the fuck out for that. Especially watch out for anyone who uses fucking fonts and fucking frack to her. All right, let's get back to the fucking duel. Also, be careful of anybody that's all like, I don't like the Nazis. I like the Kaiserreich. And it's oh, like, fuck them. Yeah, and it's like, it's like, okay, I know what that means, but you don't know what that means. Kaiserreich is just a dog whistle for people to do World War II shit, but say it's World War I shit. Yeah, I am going to refill beverage. You start explaining the duel because this shit is too gnarly to miss yeah. out. Okay, okay. So yes, we're going all the way back to Ireland, uh, connected because Germany attempted to get Ireland to overthrow England, um, and the Irish are like, "Well, that letter ain't going to influence me because I can't fucking read." Um, <laughs> I I'm sorry, Irish. Uh, but it is also true that, like, historically speaking, among rural populations of, like, the 1930s and 1940s, literacy wasn't very high. Anyway, moving on from that qualification, um, the, the Daniel O'Connell, the great liberator, uh, is known as such because of the things that Sean was talking about, and he was a fucking dynamic, titanic figure. Um, 
You get that uh, one? That was a that this is a oh, Monty yeah, no, Hayes no. double IPA. Oh <laughs> shit. So so Daniel O'Connell, we were talking about his eccentricities and the fact that uh we said that he compromises a lot, but he has a core ethos that he sticks to, and this was like incredibly true to his own peril. He felt that violence is irreconcilable with Catholicism. And I can already hear the token argument, don't be such a fucking loser. Be like, but then how do you justify the Crusades? Well, the answer is obviously that Daniel O'Connell didn't like the Crusades. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, but uh, he did not believe that you should be engaged in violence. And one of his passionate arguments on behalf of Ireland was, England, if you don't compromise with us, the IRA is going to start blowing up bakeries. Okay? Mm-hmm. I don't know what an IRA is, but it's coming. Uh, he literally said, if you will not deal with compromising men, then you will deal with men who are prone to violence. And they're like, are you threatening me? And he's like, oh, my God, I hate it so much (laughs) (laughs) yeah jesus christ (laughs) so so a part of his pacifism was that he refused to engage in duels he thought they were fucking stupid like no i'm not gonna kill a man because he said that i'm a sissy i i'm not a sissy and this was a a a large philosophy going on at this time because most military academies have forbidden dueling at this point because like holy shit you use a, lose a lot of young officers because they get drunk and call each other dickheads and they're like you sir I demand satisfaction and then you have exactly one less dude if not two less dudes it got in your so graduating of, class it got so out of control in Germany that when you see cartoon characters of evil classic Germans they have a scar over their eye it's mm-hmm. because surviving a duel where you got a scar was considered like a rite of passage but mm-hmm. duels the supply of duels didn't meet the demand of duels, so people were paying people to carve scars over their eyes so that it Jesus looked like Christ. they fought in duels. Who was your who's the who's the guy, Marjorie? The the one who wrote the arraignment of Lude Idol and Unconstant Whim. Joseph oh, Sweatnam. Jay Sweats, yeah. He Dude, wrote Joseph the no- He wrote the and promise is going somewhere. Firstly, because he's English and a piece of shit. Secondly, because he wrote this book called The Noble and Worthy Art of Defense, which is like the the, the classical manual for yeah, how to duel. If you study fencing, like if you have a fencing instructor who likes books and wants you to read about the theory of fencing and dueling, you will read Jay Sweats. You will read Justice Wetnam. It's even on uh, uh, Oxford English books online right like the the ebo and stuff right uh yeah. you can get a black letter copy of the noble and worthy school of defense right with the, with the long s uh and he wrote about german fencing schools that had gone out of existence because everyone in them just fenced themselves to death mm. <laughs> now, i mean this now, is not the way of kings like brando sanda looks down upon this like um adolin <laughs> should not be dueling in you know yeah, stop, stop dueling in wartime adolin we must we must fight the parshendi harder we must yeah. ethnic cleanse thou and our scowls heavily mm-hmm. what's funny is speaking of writing this also does link back to the novel that i just finished mm-hmm. uh believe it or not but in addition to the fact that o'connell wouldn't duel and this was the style of the time and it cost so much manpower uh the irish fucking loved duels so everybody <laughs> looked at o'connell like an Irishman that doesn't duel, right? They're like, let's ask Joe Biden about this. And young Joe Biden, <laughs> was all like, oh, I've never been in a duel in my life. So you can say I'm not an Irishman. You uh, know, Jack, I- I've never been uh, in a duel uh, in my <laughs> life, but... Uh- <laughs> I'm not going to let him live down that gap, by the way. This isn't political, but I, I did see that and I go, Jackie, no. Jackie, you can't just say these things. 
Jackie, do you work for Creative Assembly? (laughs) 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 So, but the Irish love duels. They wrote the Irish Code Duello in 1777, which is like, that is how you fight duels in Europe because Irish love fighting duels so much. They looked at O'Connell and were like, Irishman that doesn't like duels? What the hell is with this man? He's like, I don't like murdering men ever for any reason. Well, the problem is everybody expected people to duel if they were insulted. Uh, the point of a duel, by the way, wasn't the lethality. Believe it or not, it wasn't the lethality. It was the willingness to show up and die for your cause. Was what the Roman I mean, unless you were German, in which case it wasn't <laughs> the lethality. <laughs> that that's that's what the idea was. That's what the romantic idea was. Was that you're willing to die for your cause? You let a man shoot a pistol at you. That's how strongly you believe in this. Or stab you with the sword, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, so if you wouldn't do that, that meant that you weren't a man of character or integrity and you were willing, you weren't willing to be shot at, so maybe you're actually full of shit. Well, mm-hmm. as the English are wont to do, they decided to game the system to try to marginalize this Irishman and be like, the great liberator, more like the great fucking back downer, am I right? God, <laughs> like, there's like, that's a terrible fucking takedown. Oh my god. So, everybody was coming up going, hey, Daniel O'Connell, you said this obscure thing, uh, in, by the way, one of his letters, and this man hated writing letters. He <laughs> hated writing letters. He had this, this was a dude where if he was alive today, his emails would have the artifacts of, like, previous forwards on them that he forgot to remove, because he's just <laughs> going, to such and such. Ah, eh, that looks close enough. We'll just change that word to that word and send. Mm-hmm. Uh, man loved boilerplate, and I mean, who could yeah. blame him? Boilerplate rules. Every single letter of his was the same template where it looked like a UN draft resolution, where he would just be like, recognizing X, here's my opinion. Accepting mm-hmm. Y, here's my opinion. I and C, D. O'Donnell. Yeah. And <laughs> the, the I and C is so fucking condescending, too, because he would, his valediction was always I and C, which is, unless he gave a shit about you, and that's incredibly condescending because an accepted form was yours and C, and NC means et cetera. Mm-hmm. And it's a way to say yours, but I don't want to speak for you. So you may fill in the titles in which you see me. Yeah. As opposed yeah. to your humble servant, your majestic fucking whatever, any of these things. His was I'm whatever. Next. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's, there's two practice points here. One that's a meta practice point and one that's a factual practice point. The the factual practice point is that et cetera is literally and cetera. And that's why it's and C. So now you learn something today. Yeah. You didn't already know that. Secondly, Chad, how did, and this is the meta practice point. Uh, how did you learn all of this about Daniel O'Connell's letters? I read about 150 of his letters so that I could have him write a letter in the most noble animal. But but that's not just going to the Wikipedia page of Daniel O'Connell. Not just going to the Wikipedia page of Daniel O'Connell. Turns yeah. out it turns out going to the source material helps from time to time. Yeah, mm-hmm. primary sources rule and like you are born in one of the gr- probably the best era of all of history for primary sources, at least until the aliens pick over our cairns or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like, or we invent time travel or whatever, right? Like, those things mean that you have more primary sources at hand than any human throughout all of history. Do not just throw the shit into Google and take the first fucking answer that comes up. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, Google helped me because I just said Daniel O'Connell letters, and I found an archive of 150 of his letters. You know how hard that would have been in 1892? 
It probably would have been illegal if you were on the English <laughs> like physical library system. They're like, why the fuck are you looking up Daniel O'Connell's letters? Hmm? Should yeah, we, like, uh, should we call something? As, yeah, you see, you refer to him as the great liberator. You know, we've got to give it in your size. Yeah, we got. <laughs> that's the fun thing. Uh, that's the fun thing, Captain America. We've got to give it. All gibbets are in everyone's size. But, but, we've been teasing about the tool. So everybody kept trying to pigeonhole him and be like, hey, in this letter that you hated writing, you didn't refer to this person by respect. I challenge you to a duel. And he went, I don't duel. Like, ha, look, O'Connell back down to me. And I was willing to duel. And eventually it reached the point where he was about to be pushed out of politics in general. There'd be no Irish nationalism. There was going to be no end of the Anglican Church. There's going to be no repeal of these fucking acts of union if he didn't fucking do a duel. So eventually this like fucking legendary marksman challenges him to a duel and he goes, okay, fine. I don't have a fucking choice. Okay. Ireland demands that I spill blood and that breaks my Gaelic heart. So he goes in and duels him and fucking kills him. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> fucking aces him. Just like, <laughs> right? Like that's it. Now my uh, assumption, they don't have, they didn't transcribe the words, but I assume he then dropped the mic and said, that's why I don't do duels. I ain't got time to bury all the fucking bodies. Yeah. <laughs> now he did. He was profoundly guilty about this act, right? Like no, he he's was. like, I'm going to hell for this. Fuck, <laughs> right? Like, and he did pay like reparative wages, like life debt to like the man's like widow and daughter for all eternity. Uh, which, which makes him, despite the fact that there are differences, uh, it makes him a an ethically better person than the more legendary because he's more recent Charles Parnell, whom I love, but Charles Parnell, the fame of, of, uh, it comes to our attention that you have been having sex with your adjutant's wife. Yeah. I'm going to make that motherfucker get a divorce with a capital D. What? <laughs> I, I fucking love fucking his wife. <laughs> uh, and then the bishops are like, we're going to pull out of Irish nationalism. If you keep fucking his wife. And he's like, they pull out Irish nationalism, bitch. Unlike me, I didn't never pull out of his wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. No, but absolutely, right? Like, that he was, he was a man of ethos, right? And he'd like, picked the one unlucky motherfucker to die for it, right? But like yeah. at the same time, it would have been a different motherfucker in the nature of duels that they were standingly lethal. Now, of course, if you want to be a dickhead, you can say like, what about the Alexander Hamilton thing where he just let them shoot him? Uh, first off, fuck you, right? Like, <laughs> of all, hey, did you even listen to Aaron Bird's, Aaron Burr's fucking soliloquy? He wore his glasses. That's a capital offense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I mean, generally, like the nature of accepting a duel, because you could just not accept a duel, right? Yeah. Like, and then you have to compromise your position and say that, like, okay, well, he's willing to die about it and you're not, right? Like, yeah. and that, like, being willing to die about it and, like, enthused to die about it means that your life is not worth anything, right? That, like, if you don't draw on your opponent in a duel, that means that your cause is maybe worth your life, but not worth their life, which is a moral judgment in and of itself. This is not like inducement to murder, but it is a uh, consideration that the ethics of dueling are more than just like, like accept and then die, right? Like there's, it's not just a default fucking state, that man, right? Well, and also, even though it caused shit like the Hatfields and the McCoys, it's not all Hatfields and McCoys shit, mm-hmm. right? There's something because more going on there. If, if you believe in the motherfucking myth of Alexander Hamilton as like moral exception, 
than if he had blown fucking Aaron Burr's ass into the fucking third realm of Nirvana, then maybe America would be a better place because Alexander Hamilton had more time to legislate it, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, then, like, you can't say that he's unjustified in, like, attempting to kill Aaron Burr when Aaron Burr continued to be a legislator afterwards, right? That, like, the world was deprived by Alexander <laughs> Hamilton, not by Aaron Burr's action, but by Alexander Hamilton's action. Oh, no, no, it's absolutely true. And, like, okay, what you just touched on is the thesis between the behind the Heyman liam duel. Right? Yeah, so you want to back up a little bit to explain this for Marjorie, because she hasn't read the whole fucking novel. Yeah, this no so, so Heyman is a newspaper editor and a mouthpiece propagandist uh, for the Irish National Labor Party, which is basically, in this novel, uh, which has basically made a career out of advocating to Irish nationalism and patriotism after O'Connell's gaffe. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Liam St. Quiven, uh, not at all spelled how you think, by the way. Uh, uh, that is C-A-O-I-H-M-I-N, to which I respond, okay, maybe I'm not something with killing this language. Uh, <laughs> no, you have to tell phonemes. Not everything needs to have the same phonemes, right? We were just joking about not being able to pronounce fucking constat, right? Like- <laughs> now, now, he's surrounded by people like Kalen O'Sullivan and and shit like that. And these and Heyman Bohannon, who are people who have extremely anglicized their names. It's intentional that Liam St. Quiven has an extremely Irish way of saying his name because it's all part of the act. That's his whole shtick is that he wants to be a bigger than life bombastic. He see literally, I think Sean will agree with this. He sees himself as an Irish sacred oak. Yeah, he yeah. sees himself. He's he's very much, and the comparison I keep drawing is like Patrick Bateman. Uh, <laughs> that, that he Which is, is true, but not in the ways you think. <laughs> yes, that he is hyper concerned with his like appearance, but also his self conception as article of greatness. Right, like that 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 everything associated with him must be great with the capital G. Right, and then right. so his role in history must therefore be great and heroic. Capital G, capital H. Yeah, right. And the the part where I think Sean finally calcified his opinion on him was when he was helping the strike and this person threatened to kill him. So he hands over a pistol and says, do the honors yourself. And on the pistol is a brass uh, imprint that says the hatchet that has felled the sacred oak. Mm hmm. That uh, imagines that the weapon used to kill him is going to be a collector's item in the future. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so, so Liam St. Quiven and the Irish National Labor Party are just literally burning through credit to try to beat the villain of this novel. And the problem is, is that the villain doesn't play by any of the rules that you play by, so you can't outbuy him, because that's not how he works. Uh... And Heyman Bohannon, the newspaper editor, is Liam St. Quiven's best friend. And he's actually getting nauseous at the idea that Liam St. Quiven is going to go bankrupt trying to beat this guy, trying to build a church. So first he does the first thing a friend will do, which is try to fix his insolvency problem. So he writes to Daniel O'Connell. And he goes, look, I know you've had your differences with the Irish National Labor Party, but for love of God and Aaron, you must help. To which this this is where I have to interject and again say that this is uh, historical fiction, right? Like yeah. that there is no there is yeah, no actual yeah. Liam 
Liam St. Quaven, right? Like there is, this is not a transcript of an actual letter by Daniel O'Connell brackets, the liberator, uh, or from his secretary's desk, right? And the nature of writing and historical fiction allows us to explore these spaces. What if this was a thing? What things would be in parallel with events that actually happened? What can we focus on that we don't know about? What can we focus on that we do know about? And that this is the thread that we've talked about in our uh, NaNoWriMo episodes, but not in the mainline thread. So if you skip those and are listening to this, there was no Liam St. Quiven. Do not look for a plaque in like a city called Liamsbrook anywhere. Please go. But do buy the book when it comes out. Do buy the book, yes. Um, but so so Heyman goes right to Daniel O'Connell. You two don't get along, uh, partially because I like my protagonist to be smaller fish than historical figures. So like Daniel O'Connell knows who Liam St. Quiven is, but he doesn't give a shit. He's, just, <laughs> he's a little bastard. And he goes right to Daniel O'Connell. You two don't get along, but fuck. Like he's not going to let a good Irishman that employs over a thousand other Irishmen go fucking bankrupt because he's being harassed by this baffling villain. And Liam St. Quiver's like, uh, no. So he's like, like, it do smell like broken here. Stop sending me emails. Yeah. My fucking yeah, finger yeah. calls me every time your fucking cell phone number shows up. Right? <laughs> yeah, well, so, so Heyman writes a letter to the great liberator and goes, please, by all that is good, help us and help St. Quiven. And he writes back at the end of the letter, it has followed that Mr. St. Quiven's financial prospects are in such disrepair that my own good credit was called into question merely for making inquiries. Yeah, that's the old-timey way of saying it. Smell like broken here. Yeah. So, realizing, realizing that St. Quiven is about to lose everything, and he could never mend himself, he runs that letter in the paper as like a Hail Mary gambit to get St. Quiven to realize you're on the path to losing everything. This is the wake-up call. This is the intervention. And this is a time when you can go to fucking full-on, not can go to, but will go to prison for insolvency, right? Like, for your that's being called into question. You will face transportation or prison. And he's already in a lot of hot water because he may or may not have just stolen a whole lot of workers from another legal company. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, a British company, specifically. Yeah, a British company run by Scots who are oppressing Irish. Uh, uh, so so St. Quiven sees this and goes wow he just threw a Hail Mary to bail me out by calling me insolvent I'm going to kill the motherfucker Mm -hmm. and and challenges him to a duel Uh, I believe the line that I said that invoked this whole thing I'm (laughs) solvent as a motherfucker want to die about it (laughs) yes that that was the line that basically spawned the whole novel Uh, (laughs) It was great. I'm solvent as fuck. You want to die about it? Uh, so, so Heyman has a complete emotional breakdown. And the emotional breakdown is not because of how much his friend is hurting. It's all focused on the fact that he did something to help his best friend. And his best friend, in as far as Heyman is concerned, just said, I want to kill you now. Because that's mm-hmm. how he's reading the duel. This is a lethal threat on my life. And I would never threaten your life, but you threaten my life. Yes, so, and uh, I think I don't. I think you skipped over it slightly. Is that Liam Liam oh, Saint Quiven challenges Heyman uh, to a duel? Right, his best friend and the newspaper editor, who has heretofore been his fucking mouthpiece the whole time, challenges him to lethal arms at like noontide uh, on the side of the old racetrack. Right? Yeah, yeah. Just no, not, not at the side of the old racetrack. At the because he's such a lame ass poet. 
he chooses the German stables that were burned down by Gibbs. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So he he goes there and he shows up with this parade of people as Heyman is just sinking in despair. I love the fact that he's getting his hair. Uh, Heyman is like, I'm gonna fucking die. I can't shoot for shit. Mm-hmm. But at least I'm gonna make at least I'm gonna make Liam kill me, and hopefully he'll live with the guilt. He's getting a haircut, but he can't get it in the good part of town because the good part of town hates him now. So he's getting mm-hmm. it in the poor part of town. And the fucking barber is sitting there cutting his hair and he goes, hey, you want to be a second in a duel? Yes. He <laughs> asked the, the fucking barber. And the fucking barber, I want to emphasize this about Chad's novel. The barber had not was not a non-character in the book to this point. The barber was like always at the periphery of main events, not because he was a barber because he was cutting people's hair, but just he was showing up, right? And he was accidentally spared by Gibbs's fucking whimsy at one point, right? Like uh, Gibbs yeah. is the antagonist of the novel. But this barber, Matthew Jack, born with two man so nice they named him twice, right? Uh fulfills the best instruction in the book, which is like, you will listen to what he says, and then you will tell Kalen O'Sullivan to suck on it, to choke on his own dick. And <laughs> literally, during the instructions to the duel, Matthew Jack nods and says, yep, and Mr. Heyman Bohannon instructs me that uh, he should inform you that Kalen O'Sullivan should uh, choke on his own dick, and then, like, walks off. And, like, <laughs> that's the most, like, like fuck yeah, mic drop moment in like the whole thing. I swear to God, because fuck Caitlin, okay? Like, like Caitlin has like the moral imperative throughout this whole thing, especially towards the end, where he's like, I, you know what? I am willing to die to kill the antagonist. I'm gonna go to the prison and shoot this motherfucker. Right? But Caitlin has needed someone to tell him just like fuck completely off this whole time, right? and because uh, even Gibbs did, right? And. uh this this like moment of like Matthew Jack, this like non-entity, this vaguely antagonistic barber who'd been like the service, the antagonist, just coming up and saying what everyone who's been reading it had been thinking was fucking <laughs> perfection. Fuck yeah, Matthew Jack. Yeah, as far as because Kalen, Kalen is like the perfect gentleman. He's all like, well, if you're going to commit to the duel, then these are the terms and these are the rules. Satisfaction will be achieved if such and such happens. Do you have any questions? Matthew Jack is all like, Heyman, do we have any questions? No, we don't have any questions. All right. Do you have any response? Are you done? Yes. But I've been instructed to tell you to choke on your own prick. <laughs> <laughs> but so then it's all done. Uh, Liam St. Quiven walks out and he's wearing St. Patrick blue to show like that this is an Irish affair. Uh, for those of you that don't know, green is the national color of Ireland, but blue is the color of St. Patrick. Um, big Catholicism it's always big Catholicism (laughs) so he walks out in his blue shirt and his pistol now there is a double meaning there I I don't know if you caught it Sean but he part of the reason he's using that pistol the one that says uh, the hatchet that has split the sacred oak oh because he won't think Haman is going to kill him yeah he doesn't think Haman is going to kill him there is an internal there is an internal spot that he does love Heyman mm-hmm. and it does bother him to be killing him. But one of Liam's big problems that he's all like, it's going to bother me anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it was his weird moment of poetic intimacy. And he can only be intimate with poetry, uh, which should hopefully excite MJ a little. Um, and he comes out with this big performative thing and he stretches out his arm and he's looking all fucking fine. And then Heyman just shoots him and kills him. Mm-hmm. And it's all like 
I part of it was partially inspired by the uh expent wrath of uh McCall who shot um uh Wild Bill Hickok when he walked in in Deadwood and shot him in the back of the head and said, Take that, you or take that, damn you, and then ran off. That was kind of like the emotional response I was going for with Heyman of just all like, okay, well, blam. Play stupid games, win stupid. Oh my god, my friend's gonna die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then he runs over and he sees that his friend is actually dying and he just loses his shit and starts puking. And then Kalen mm-hmm. comes to him in prison and goes, he wasn't going to kill you, you stupid fucking bastard. This whole thing was a plan because he has to gain satisfaction and you're terrible with pistols and you're going to miss. And mm-hmm. the, the specific line you used is that like the short fat newspaper editor doesn't win duels like this, right? Like yeah. the, the tall charismatic hero is the one who wins duels. So why the fuck would the fucking short fat newspaper editor win? Right. Which is like perfect. Cause like real duels don't care. Right. Like yeah. they don't check your fucking character sheet for yeah. like guns work. Right. Well, like, and contrary to what fascists think, they don't check the national aesthetic either. Yeah. <laughs> There's not some fucking editor that goes, Oh, like Vince McMahon doesn't decide how fucking feats of arms turn out. <laughs> the zeitgeist doesn't like drop in and say no. The bullet shall curve away, right? It's like no duels are fucking bad because the better man doesn't win like a hundred percent of the time, right? Like, uh, yeah. no, absolutely. And and so and it bothers Heyman for the rest of his life because mm-hmm. it it doesn't because Liam Saint Quiven bought into the aestheticism of it but he didn't buy into the ballistic reality of it. Mm. Oh, yeah. But he and was it, the one who did say, let's get guns about it, right? Like, yeah, all right, no, exactly. But, and part of what I thought was so beautiful about Heyman's ending was that it wasn't Heyman's fault, so Liam inflicted that trauma on him. Mm-hmm. Like, what the fuck is he supposed to do? My best friend just said he's going to come kill me. So... I'm going to have to kill him so he doesn't kill me and to satisfy this rage because like realistically it doesn't you can say whatever you want when you've never had a nemesis or a mortal enemy but somebody threatening to kill you changes something and I mean like actually threatening to kill you taking the steps to kill you that changes something yeah and it sure changed something in Eamon Bohannon yeah so is there any other notes you want to say about the novel as it's finished now? Uh, like, what's your total word count? I don't think we asked that. Uh, my total word count right now, actually, I have it up at Scrivener. Let me pull it up. Project Targets. 165,047 words. Ooh, that's a little bit long. It was gonna a lot of words. Yeah, out of, out of my 90,000 targets. Yeah, like I, at like 120, 130, I could absolutely see this selling, but at 160, ooh. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have the name to sell it at 160,000. So yeah. I'm going to go back and trim it. Now, one thing uh, I'm going to let you guys in, because this is a podcast about writing. It's not just about Irish nationalism, anti-Nazism, and uh, the most noble animal. Um, I mean, but like, honestly, if we could keep it at like Irish nationalism and anti Nazism, like, I'd be fucking psyched about that. Even if not but, one additional person subscribes, right? <laughs> but here is a mechanical, here, here's a mechanical thing about how I write. My sentences all go long. And I'm sure Sean was kind of gritting his teeth sometimes. I could have just fucking cut the sentence. I didn't have to keep Dude, going. Dude, my sentences go longer than yours, right? <laughs> like, I have fucking like hideous, sprawling, like Virginia Woolf, Susan Sontag ass sentences. <laughs> like, like, okay, when we're recording this, the Donald Trump tweet about him like being arrested 
will uh, that he will be arrested on Tuesday has just come out, right? And like the second tweet of that is one long sentence with literally like seven subordinated clauses in it. <laughs> Every one of my sentences are like that, right? Like I don't just like the semicolon. I like the regular colon. I like the itemized list. I like block quotes, right? Like we are going to assemble a fucking thing, a whole seat. Uh, sentence, a whole concept, a whole thesis with only one full stop, only one period in this motherfucker. Periods are for the weak, right? Like Cormac McCarthy doesn't like the fucking quotes. I don't like periods, motherfucker. We go long. Which is actually funny because one of my positions is that scan your works, uh, commas are a sign of moral failing. Uh, (laughs) More commas you have, the more you balked. Uh, and if your sentence requires a comma, it might, but if it's coming up too often, you have to change your writing approach. Mm. Uh, I've but, actually been aiming to change my writing approach deliberately by using less colons and like, because I use a lot of itemized lists, and so I follow no, colons sense. a lot. Uh, it's because my professional writing involves a lot of itemized lists because what I do is legal and financial writing, right? So yeah. obviously listing itemized elements is a big component of that where you say like, because of the following, doot, 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 period, right? <laughs> and uh, no, but I think it's worth getting away from in like prose writing. Yeah. Yeah, no, in kind of the same way that like, so one of the one of the struggles I was having as I was writing Most Noble Animal was I was starting to lose the concept of the aesthetic of the architecture of a page, which mm-hmm. doesn't sound like a whole lot, but it it is something. Uh, you no, absolutely. have you know, and, uh, what a page is like when you're writing. Uh, Marjorie's not with us right this second, uh, considering that this is we have passed the hour mark like ten minutes ago, right? Uh, and so she is. Uh, uh, replenishing her supplies of writing energies right this very second. We're, uh, we're going we're to ambush her with a subreddit question when she gets back. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and then we're going to talk about witches. I want to talk to her about witches because she loves witches. Yeah. Uh, witches are uh, cool. Witches are cool. Uh, but there's also a lot of weirbooism in witches, which I think she wants to talk about too. Awesome. Uh, yes. Well, and. I am all about this podcast talking about things that everybody wants to talk about. <laughs> you got it. But the thing that I wanted to go into on this note with regard to like commas as structural element and like cutting out a word count is that like this is a legit practice point because people talk about like, oh, well, this is my trilogy for a publisher. And this is my like this is my first book. It's 180,000 pages or it's 200,000, 200,000 words. Sorry, not 180,000 pages. That would be a single Smash Bros. fanfic that we don't talk about. Right. Uh, the world record for English literature, I believe. <laughs> uh, that, like, literally there are breakpoints that it's, like, 120 and a, to 130 is, like, acceptable as a very long first published novel. And, like, Chad, you have a little bit of pro- professional publishing as well as a few published short stories that put you ahead of the average motherfucker with 120,000 uh, word camp novel. The other thing that uh, Most Noble Animal has is that it's standalone. Right, it has a beginning and an end, but with a chance for serialization, like we had discussed in the past, that you could call it Most Noble Animal, A Matter of Leansbrook as a subtitle. And then if you wanted to do one about, say, for instance, the institution of company towns in Germany, yeah, uh, you could call it Most Noble uh, Animal, The Matter of Striegerlitz or something, like a made-up yeah, town uh, in Germany. Yeah, the, the Most Noble Animal basically being a story about... Uh, 
how communities are affected by feuding parties uh, is, I guess, what the series would be about. Yeah, and all the other factors of like labor and capital and religion and history and place all colliding all at once alongside the you know, the various independent elements of like you know something I kind of enjoyed a lot about Most Noble Animal was that English tyranny was a constant specter throughout the novel, mm-hmm. and yet very few of the characters actually experienced English tyranny. Yeah, and, but I mean, when English tyranny reared its ugly head, it was at its most fucking militant. Right. So so that's what I like is that like you have a lot of people who are just kind of bitching about something because other people are bitching about it until Mm -hmm. you speak the name of the devil and he do appear. He do appear. And when he appears, he shoots you. He shoots your grandma (laughs) and he shoots your dad. Right. Like there's no one left. While we wait for MJ, by the way, did you think that the Henry scene where he basically gets infused with the spirit of God against Father Martin was too much? I am seeing from MJ that MJ is back. But yes, I did not think that because that's not necessarily and this is kind of like a plausible deniability about this being a piece of like Christian literature, is that like Henry is being infused with the spirit of Henry, right? Like that yeah, there is something yeah, no, indefatigable about that motherfucker. And like Marjorie, I think you can talk about this yourself, is that like Henry's like last unsober act before he gets off the bottle is like trying to submit his poems to the newspaper. And being rejected and told he did a plagiarism. Now I'm going to go replenish my own reserves. So have fun, kids. <laughs> yeah, those people do be rejecting poetry out there, man. It's, it's a it's a reality. It's it's a sucky reality. It's an ongoing reality. It's this is my like diversion about like I really enjoy the process of writing, and I think Chad, you're on this like wonderful high of like doing the thing and that is like the the work the best part of it and the worst part of it is to like find a fucking place to publish this thing you're so happy that you finished well i am so i have something that i found is a gift to me that a lot of other people don't have and i wish i wish i could hold seminars in a non-predatory way about this Mm -hmm. uh which is uh how to speak strongly from the eye (laughs) semicolon how to tell publishers that they're wrong right and like it helps my it it helps my psyche a lot like i i submitted that lesbian swashbuckler romance Mm -hmm. uh to somebody and they went this isn't what we're looking for and i told them then you're looking for the wrong stuff Mm -hmm. right and and like i love combative letters with these people where they're like okay they usually don't respond but when they do oh god is it good (laughs) <laughs> oh man, do I love it? Because they're like, okay, well, that's not what the normal process is. And I'm like, yeah, but okay, do you notice how like your publications come up for like a month, get a bunch of funding from like GoFundMe, and then go bankrupt because you make stupid choices like not hiring me? Mm-hmm. And then we get into these slap fights, and I'm like, my brother in Christ, you're going to go bankrupt. I'm going to save this fucking chain of emails. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, if it makes you feel any better, uh, I won't name the game, but it's coming out and it looks bad. But uh, Sean recommended that I apply to this one video game company. Uh, I won't name them. I won't name anything else about it. They they idiotically didn't ask me to sign an NDA, but I'm a professional. Mm. So I will act in the spirit of an NDA, but they were looking for a lead writer. So mm-hmm. I submitted my stuff and they established it like a fucking double elimination tournament. We're like, we were writing off against each other. Mm. And I made it to the finals. And they're like, okay, it's down to you and the other guy. I have returned. Sean, we're talking about that one company. 
Ah, uh, <laughs> yes. The one that's in prime wearaboo territory. We're not going to talk about it, right? Oh, wow. That's really dark. Holy shit. <laughs> oh, my God. None of you will understand how dark that is, but it's, it's the company you had me fucking uh, submit my application to. Uh, no, I know. Yeah, fucking Prime. Oh, oh, that's bad. Sean, no. <laughs> Look, uh, they rejected your application. I have a fucking, like, non-quantized amount of hate for them, right? Like, Marjorie, do we hate them? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there no, we go. Well, Marjorie's uh, she's going to hate them even more when when I explain how the final selection went. So, so we get to the final selection. They're like, "Okay, it's down to you and one other writer." And I'm like, "Okay, it's really weird that we have a tournament arc for this job." <laughs> uh, and they go, "We want it to be a game set in dark fantasy." Okay, go. Wait, what? What the fuck does that mean? What do you want? And they're like. <laughs> You write us what our game story is going to be about, and whichever one we like more gets the job. Okay, what is the what? What's the thesis behind the game? We're not going to tell you. Okay. What the fuck are you talking about? You just dropped a knife between two writers and said only one man leaves. <laughs> you're not like you're not giving any direction whatsoever. I mean, or a sporting game of bubbly peg could pop up, yeah. right? Like, yeah, yeah, and I'm just like, what, what? what are you talking about? What do you want? Give me, like, give me literally any direction. And they're like, well, you can't have all the, all the direction. I'm like, yes, I can. That's how game fucking writing works. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, okay. The writers that wrote for mass effect didn't walk up to the doctors and be like, what do you want? I don't know. Something with space. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe there should be somebody that, uh, that, uh, they have hands. Can you write a guy with hands? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like that's the thing is, if they had written fucking Wing Commander, they wouldn't have fucking gotten the job, right? Like, <laughs> right. So, so, so I do this, and I write like this fucking Bible that I showed Sean, and it was really cool, and it was really well done. And they're like, it's really well written, but it's not what we're looking for. We gave the other person the job, and I'm like, okay, well, this is this is why people with bad accents and voice acting go Alice Cross General. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. no. It's the weirdest rejection I've ever had. Also, the game looks like dog shit. Mm, yeah, unfortunately. If I, show I mean, you I want. Uh, I think you sent it to one of the group chats in the other one, but uh, yeah, and it's, it, it's like insanely generic. It's all like, "Are you ready for a game where you fight giant spiders?" And I'm like, oh, "No way! That's wow. fucking crazy, bro." 1993 called, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, Chad. Uh, Sean told me to tell you about a video game thing that was funny that happened to me the other day. Is that ArenaNet from Guild Wars uh, emailed me and said someone in China was hacking my account? Oh God, <laughs> damn it! Oh my. God. <laughs> okay. You know what? I get to say this because we were extremely nice to China in our sister podcast. Uh, it is such fucking China brain to be like, I have to hack the Guild Wars account. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. oh my God, I hope my Lineage 2 account is safe. Yeah, no, it isn't. It definitely isn't. But yeah, speaking of accounts not being safe, there's something I've wanted to discuss had liked this podcast, but it just hasn't quite showed up since Marion Zimmer Bradley. Also, I have the powerful Firestone Walker hiccups right now. 
Shout out to non-sponsor of the pod, Firestone Walker. Absolutely phenomenal Northern California Brewing Company. Give me the worst hiccups I've had in like fucking this calendar year. Thank you. <laughs> uh, when, I used to, when I used to game with friends, I would hiccup when I would drink and they'd be like, I always thought that was just a myth perpetuated by Goofy. <laughs> nope. It's uh, like, uh, what's the drunk guy on the Lollateria board? What's the, the drunk guy on what board? Chad knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, but I couldn't I couldn't hear you because you've had too much to drink. <laughs> Affirmative. El Bracho! The the drunk guy on Lollateria board. I don't know. Ah, uh, okay. Well, I guess that's a little bit too Mexican, not Cuban enough. So background if you want to dox me. But yes, something I wanted to talk about with MJ on the podcast, specifically while you were present is the nature of witches, specifically in modernity, as it relates to the two major brands of witchness and their overlap with conspiracy theory. And to loop around back to what I want to talk about, conspiracy theory. Marjorie, could you really quick go over the function and nature of Gentrad slash Gardnerianism? Well, earlier today, we were talking about how there's a group of witches a disparate group, which all claim to be part of the same generational traditional line of like descending from Gardner or um, Alexander, these two British dudes, I believe, like in the twenties. Fucking English. Yeah. Fucking yeah. These are. This is maximally English and maximum England brain, including like England brain, like racism in every possible way you could imagine. Right? Like they're like down with thinking that like Ireland are like subhuman peoples, and that like Orientalism is good I, because it makes people subservient to like the true rulers of the world. But yes, I, I want MJ to continue, but I have to throw out real fast that like I I love Brian Cox. And I love the fact that people were like, uh, when it came to Meghan Merkel, he's like, what the fuck did she expect was going to happen? She was going to fucking run in there and ask to be a princess and everybody was going to love her? No, there are a bunch of fucking animals in the royal family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then he was also like, well, so you're saying you support the royal family? He's like, no, fuck them. Get rid of them, assholes. Like traditional British character is about them. He goes, oh, fuck them. That's all a load of bullshit. <laughs> Now, no, this is the guy awesome. that is like just totally not opposed to speaking his mind in interviews. Somebody once asked him what he finds strangest about Americans, and he said, the strangest thing about Americans is that they'd rather fuck their own mothers than say the word cunt. <laughs> 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 uh, oh, but I had to give a Brian Cox interjection uh, because I love the man and his and his in uh, uh, Troy, when he's all like, I think his finest bit of acting was when he went you gave them 10 days of peace, peace, peace. <laughs> Please continue, MJ. So these folks of in England with England brain really think that witchcraft is like a British thing. And part oh, of this, okay. yeah, I, I, I don't know. And, and this is opposing WBA. Pliny the elder would strongly disagree. Yeah. And this is opposing one of the major other thoughts of the Celtic revival, who was W.B. Yeats and, you know, our our boy, William Butler Yeats, who was the the most Irish of the Irish. And he brought in like a lot of the um, mythology that was lost and legends that were lost and made sure that they got like put down. Because as we were mentioning earlier, not everybody was reading. And so he finally got like that transition period between like 
non-readers and readers to get into fairies and all sorts of other Arthurian type things. And but the Arthurianness of it tends to be like ye olde England, and England wants to claim Arthur, where Arthur was actually not English; he was Welsh, which is like a whole other substrata of like racism and intercultural problems in an erasure of languages like the the Irish language, like Welsh was a language that they were like, no, you cannot speak that. You cannot read Welsh. Welsh is bad. Um, What are you showing me, Sean? Sean is showing me a mango hard seltzer. (laughs) That is what Sean is drinking now, I guess. Uh, That mango seltzer gets me hard. Continue. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so we have like the modern interpretation of this is that Either you are part of the secret occult group of generational traditional witches. Uh, MJ, can I have a second? Yeah. There we go. Okay, cool. And ripped it. Well, MJ, I have a question for you. You you say indictingly that it was bad that they said that Welsh is a bad language. How do you feel when you see a road sign for Landfair, Pligin, Wiggle, Ill, Gogorich, Ver, Drow? Will Antis Ilio Go Go Gogok? Hard as a fucking cement mixer <laughs> left out in the sun for 24 hours. That, that mango seltzer is not as hard as I am. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, Welsh rules. Welsh is a, a polyphonic language. Uh, it does all sorts of shit with its syllables. And this is an aside from Marjorie's description of Gardnerianism. I'm sorry. But like, uh, different languages have different characteristics. So, for instance, I talked to you, Chad, about recently listening to an audiobook that had an English narrator, and we had talked about like that English people pronounce. Oh, what was the word? It's the the what's the seasoning that goes on all the Mexican food? Cilantro. No, it's another one. Oregano. Uh, Oregano, there we go. Oh, because uh, British people pronounce it oregano, and that's just fucking wrong, right? Like, I, I'm throwing more tea in the harbor when I hear oregano. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. is when I jokingly describe fucking tapatio. Yeah, right? exactly. There was, so I have me some tapatio. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if you say call it tapatio, like tapatio, you get like your own kind of like a white girl cred on that thing. So like, then people will like know that you were like raised in like parts of like North Hollywood that like get the food trucks, but like have like more money than like the food trucks are like worth, and so like don't have to like get that. You know what I'm saying? Okay, I have this friend. Not not to interrupt here, but I'm going to interrupt. No, I'm done. Friend. That was it. I have this friend. No, I don't want to interrupt MJ anymore because mm. she's on a roll. But I think MJ will enjoy this. You know how Orange County to everybody else seems like typical Californians, but they are completely their own culture in California. Oh, I had to explain yeah. this to MJ like yeah. a while ago. <laughs> yeah. we, we were These there. Are not people. These are not your people. <laughs> we were there. Sean was explaining as we were um, exiled to the OC at one point in time. Yeah, and it's like, well, you mean that there are people that go to Disneyland? No, OC people don't go to Disneyland. They, they <laughs> look at the people with contempt that go to Disneyland. Mm-hmm. I have a very dear friend who grew up in Orange County. Now, this is, like, one of the smartest people that I know. Uh, Sean's better. California, met her. here we come. Yeah. Uh, right Sean's, back where Sean's, we started from. Sean's better. She's, uh, she's, she has a fucking, like, she is a dissertation short of a PhD in fucking Roman history. She's hmm. mad, wicked smart. Uh, 
and she keeps pressuring me into writing this thing called Roman Punk, but she is so OC brained, like mm-hmm. based and OC pilled. <laughs> now, I don't know moved... her base, but yes, definitely <laughs> OC pilled. <laughs> and she moved to fucking Indiana, and she thought, well, how different can it be? Well, now you've got an OC person surrounded by like fucking Midwesterners, and Midwesterners <laughs> are very very different from, i would uh, say that all of la is like the containment protocol like scp style for orange county right <laughs> I can see that. so like she gets there and she says see so she'll say something like i want some tap i want some tapatio and then you get these like fucking midwesterners that are like well i never heard of no tapatio but if you want some like tapatio yeah, oh. <laughs> or some Sriracha, <laughs> I got that for you. <laughs> I'm down with the Sriracha. Yeah. Uh, no, that's fucking phenomenal. Sorry for interrupting you, MJ. Yeah, uh, you want to go back? No, on please Gen continue. Track? I'm interested. I just wanted to add some contextual laughs. No, that's right. I, I I don't know where Sean, you were taking us on this journey. Um, so I should like head in the direction of like anti. England, because anti-England is always a direction we should be heading. Yeah, no, I, I just basically wanted to ask you, why is Gentrad bullshit? And, like, what is the difference between Star Hawk and Gentrad? And, like, why are Wicca people all basically fascist deep down? They just don't know it yet. Well, it's, it's, it's Wicca versus witchcraft. Now, I, I am witched. I am not a Wiccan. Wiccan are the folks who believe in this, like, unbroken line of women that have passed this shit down English brain to English brain. Uh, you, you, can, you can just say it. Wiccans are the people that hang out at Books a Million. <laughs> it's funnier than that, though, because, like, Alex, Big Alex and Big Guard, right? Like, uh, they said, like, yeah, all this shit was told to me by my um, my coven, who you wouldn't met. They, they go to a different school. Yeah, right? no. <laughs> okay, so here's the way that I've always interpreted is that, like, when people like MJ talk about, like, their witch interests, it's kind of like um, invoking a pre-Victorian feminist. And when you say that you're a Wiccan, it means you like the crow. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a goth if you like the crow. You need to, that's your goth cred right there. If you God, watch the crow on at least an annual pugilist, The fucking pugilist makes this goddamn fucking rant every fucking year where he's all like, Yes, I gotta watch my yearly watch the crow because the crow is actually one of the best movies I've ever seen. The the crow defined my life. I'm like, your life redefines every time you open your mouth. Okay. <laughs> when you sustained these boxing injuries that made you forget your thesis, could you have forget forgotten to talk about the crow? No. Because <laughs> he's gotta help the kids, dude. And no, yeah. I I have to help the kids by suplexing them. My man is literally Eric Cartman in that one episode where he aspires to like. Uh... No, he absolutely saw fucking. Uh... Oh, fuck, I keep forgetting his name, and I shouldn't because he's the grandfather of all Hispanics. Edward James Olmos, dude. Edward James Olmos. You know what it you is? You gotta say Edward, dude. If you don't say right. Edward, you're not. You know what? You know what kills me? Mm-hmm. Well, it kills him too, I suppose. I can't, I can't remember anybody else because I've been so torn up since I heard that Lance Reddick died. Yeah, that shit's messed up. Like he I, died I was, at like sixty, right? Yeah, he died. They're like he died suddenly at sixty of natural causes. I'm like, 
All right, 60 isn't old enough for, like, a random natural cause to just swoop in, okay? Like, what enemy of the light came in and killed Zavala? I mean, it could be Lightning Bolt, or it could have been, like, Feral Eagle, right? Like, Rabbit Eagle. Do do, Marjorie, do birds get rabies? I think so. Okay, I have a story for you from one... Okay, this may dox me a little, but probably not, because none of you are vintage gamers. When I was working on a video game, there was a, uh, there was an, an enemy called a rabid basilisk. And me and my coworker are staring at it. And I'm like, I know it's a fantasy game, but I don't think that basilisks are in the type of like taxonomy that gets rabies. (laughs) (laughs) And he's all like, I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense. He goes, cause like they're kind of, Lizard-esque? Do lizards get rabies? Now, he and I had had this ongoing feud about Wikipedia. Partially because <laughs> he is the biggest pain in the ass. Okay, have you ever seen the Mahalo Rewards card episode of South Park? No, I don't think so. Okay, well, for anybody that has, that's him. When I first started working at that company, some of you like, look it up on Wikipedia. And somewhere from the other side, because he's a white dude that grew up in Hawaii, he would go, it's Wikipedia. It's named after the Wiki Wiki bus. <laughs> And I'm like, please shut the fuck up. Yeah, you're like, that's the one situation where you could be like, absolutely no irony as a white person. Be like, shut the fuck up, colonizer, right? Like, <laughs> like your colonizer points are infinitely higher than mine. Right? This is why that South Park episode is so great. He referred to himself as a native. <laughs> There's this entire class of Hawaiian white dudes that refer to themselves as native Hawaiians. Now, I love... Hawaiian white dudes. They're cool because 90% of them are just these chill dudes that smoke weed and help unload fishing boats Mm -hmm. uh, or work at hotels and then go get high. But 90% Mm -hmm. of Hawaiian white dudes are dudes that just get high and hang out with actual natives. But they Mm -hmm. see themselves as natives and they try to gatekeep the culture and it's really fucking cringy. Mm. And so he was so anytime, anytime something Hawaiian would come up, he would pop up and be like, well, actually, and I'm like, oh my God, it's a Hawaii boo. <laughs> I guess a Mahalabu would be the word. Uh, mm. But but uh the South Park episode is where Butters is just losing his fucking shit and his parents realize that, that it's because he hasn't done his pilgrimage back to his native land of Hawaii, so they give him a Mahalo rewards card and send mm. him back to Hawaii so he can go on a pilgrimage to his native land. Uh and it it was perfect. It's literally the description of this guy. But the reason this is all germane is because he made this big fucking deal once where he was like we're just talking about shit and we're getting nostalgic about the 90s and he goes pogs are from hawaii by the way <laughs> pogs? are you pogs. fucking serious well it turns out they are really yes they they started because of fucking something in hawaii okay but like i can't imagine the fucking native like eddie cow ass Motherfucker, like Anakalea last Kamehameha, <laughs> motherfucker, assembling like plastic chips with fucking Digimon on them to like flick at each other, right? Like, am I just wrong about that and that's a real thing? Or am I thinking that it was some fucking like white people ass LLC that invented pogs in adjacency to being on Hawaii? It's hard to tell. It started in Maui 
because of a Japanese game that was being Of course there. it fucking did. It was always Japanese expats. Okay, okay. Like, I'm a vegetarian, right? As Marjorie can testify, I'm not a very strict vegetarian. But, like, the like only your, fucking hook... Huh? I like your What's definition. A, I like your definition as a killitarian. Oh, absolutely, killitarian is something I like. I want uh, more than I could kill and create in a day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but where I'm worst about, and which Marjorie tempted me down the path of darkness, I want you to confess to tempting me down the path <laughs> of darkness about this. I'll leave you space and the airtime to do so. Um, yeah, I am an evil witch who has led you to the devil, and the devil is Spam Masubi. There you go. Yeah, that, <laughs> we were working on DoorDash, and we were both like, "You're a full-on pescatarian, right?" And I'm a pescatarian only when it's special treat time for when I've gone shopping and done a very good job, right? Like Marjorie was like, "You could eat this hoofed land animal, like Span Masubi looks really, really good from this wine restaurant." And I was like, "God damn it, you the 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 true." Babylon is before me and it's Spam Masubi. All right, I've given in. Right. Boy, <laughs> as a pescatarian, that means you can eat beavers. <laughs> exactly. No, yeah. But, uh, but anyway, so, no, no, so, so it started in Hawaii, <laughs> uh, borrowed from fucking Japanese people. Uh, and in the 1920s or 1930s, they started playing it with fucking, uh, in Maui with fucking milk caps. And it, it ended up just taking over the 90s with, uh, combination between that and Jason from Power Rangers. Yeah, it uh, makes sense. Uh, flickability so, in a plastic disc is really important. Yeah, so so he'd be like, hey, it's, it's from Hawaii. Look it up on Wikipedia. Well, I'm listening to this conversation going on, and I just fucking... I'm, by the way, why that company isn't allowed to make edits to Wikipedia anymore. So I race <laughs> to Wikipedia. Somebody looks up and goes, it doesn't say anything about Hawaii here, dude. And he goes, what? And he looks it up and it says, I shit you not, Pogs are a game that originated in Missouri, perhaps the most different state from Hawaii. There is no <laughs> connection to Hawaii with Pogs, which started in Missouri. And he went, okay, what the fuck? So, <laughs> linking back to the basilisks, he goes, I should go look up rabies and see if I should submit this as a bug. And he got there and he goes, rabies affects the following animals. And he's reading this out loud because he suspected, he knew. Rabies affects the following animals. Rodents. Bats, birds, dogs, and basilisks. <laughs> no, come on. I went, well, there we go. It's not a bug. All right, let's move on. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's sad, though, because, like, like, confession, and I think you can, might be able to figure out my fucking fanfiction.net handle from this, but I had a Harry Potter nurture a basilisk by the old-fashioned method of a chicken egg under a toad. Boy, I was really worried this was going to come to the old-fashioned way of wet nursing. Oh, no, absolutely not. Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah. But that notion of witch and wizardry means that uh, basilisks are actually phenomenally easy to make in the course of Harry Potter. So really, everyone should have fucking basilisks. They're fucking excellent weapons of mass destruction if you'd let them ride out there. But yes, Marjorie, we have interrupted you for too long on the discussion of Hawaii. Uh, we're now the most sexist of all the podcasts we really are i am so sorry but this mango hard seltzer is a lot harder than i thought it would be yeah. it's five percent the soju is also five percent how is oh, that a peach seltzer dude we're, we're sitting there going god i fucking hate rommel 
And then <laughs> Bard, and then fucking MJ starts talking. We're like, what the fuck? I love fascism now. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I'm just joking. No, I know you're just joking. Marjorie, how are you doing with that peach soju over there? I, I do. Do you want some of it? Are you asking to to share? Because you're welcome to share it with me. No, I'm just wondering how much quantity you've consumed. Because if Chad and I are the only drunk sailors on this here boat, you've got to steer us to safety in the Gardnerian Wicca uh, shoals. You, you don't want me to to be on a boat of any Have sort. That's not a good idea. Wait, no, this is we're we're going to ask some important targeted questions to focus MG. Have you ever one v one a Wiccan? If I ever one v one what? A, a Wiccan. Wiccan. Have you ever owned a Wiccan in person? Yeah, like um, either either rhetorically or with violence. Yes, both. Okay. Oh fuck yeah! Yeah, tell us about the violence. We don't care about when you own some idiot. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, that's we don't need to go into like the Marjorie's ghetto thread tonight. I don't feel like that. Like <laughs> I'm not representing my like Irish heritage very well. So like. No, we're all fucking ghettos. Sean has destroyed a car. I had a fucking gun pointed at me in high school. Tell us your ghetto. Uh, well, Marjorie is from Ohio, and that's, I think, enough qualification on that front. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, I am I mean, from, like, 30 different places, including Ohio, but, like, So, sure. did you watch the Drew Carey show, see the opening, and go, I don't know what you're talking about, Cleveland. <laughs> shit, actually. <laughs> I'm I'm I would say Cleveland some parts of Cleveland are better than some parts of LA but that's I because they're walkable and have public transit that's not going to kill you. Ooh, I, that's alarmingly Midwest of you, Marjorie. I went yeah, out like, yeah, so many Midwest once. towns are known for their public transit other than Chicago and Cleveland. Mm. I went out on a date once with a girl from Cleveland and I went, "Wow. I you know, I don't hear much about Cleveland, but I've heard that it rocks according to Drew Carey and she goes, I don't know what you're talking about. I went, okay, so we're just not going to get along. Like, do I have to stay here for the full hour or can I just go now? <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I was a little bit out of the room when you described the initial premises of Gardnerianism. Uh, did you tie it back to essential Englishness, Marjorie? Did I? I don't know. <laughs> Chad, a- I'm, I'm, I'm posing it to Chad at this point in time because I don't know. Gotcha. Uh, I don't know. Whenever I hear fucking England, I'm just all like, I'm just all like, the Great Liberator won't, but I'll fucking take you to any pistol duel, you sons of bitches. Yeah. Uh, so, I, like, the, the thing that I think is essential about Gardnerianism versus, like, uh, any other kind of witchcraft, and this is putting aside the little fucking plaques with, like, 25 fonts that I think Marjorie is absolutely in love with, and I can order on Amazon and just absolutely carpet bomber with is the we are the descendants of the witches you couldn't burn. Uh, is that Gardnerianism says that Wicca and witchcraft is essentially British in much a way as the essentially British Israelite movement does? Uh. That's not. The British Israelite movement, in case you don't know, dear listener, is that one of the lost tribes of Israel settled in the fucking United Kingdom, and they are the lost tribe. Do you know what that makes you? That makes you Windsor Mormons. Exactly. Right? (laughs) Uh, It says that you, the angel Moroni, had visited unto Scrumplefuck on the knoll in somewhere in Upper England above London. Right, like, which is just fucking nonsense, right? Uh, and it is uh, entirely Galatian to dump on the Mormon Church because well, I mean, I'm sitting here going that. like, okay, Henry, Mister Eighth Henry, 
pick one. Pick mm-hmm. one. You, you can't have all the branch off Christianities. Yes, exactly. And the nature of Gardnerianism, and I think you can confirm this, Marjorie, is that like that witches go back a billion billion generations of women teaching women all these women skills, but you have to trust this dude for it, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's Jeff English guy who is the keeper of British witch knowledge. Is that right? No, it's Jack Nicholson and the Witches of Eastwick. Oh fuck yeah, you're right. Uh, do you want to talk about Witches of Eastwick? Because I still feel like I don't quite understand that movie. Uh, yeah, he throws up cherry stems, dude. It's fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. How, when did you fucking see that movie? Because no one I know has seen that movie. I asked after Marjorie made me watch it. and I mean, I watched it in a context that I said, pick the movie. And then Marjorie picked it. Uh, so not actually like made me watch it right in the same way that I subjected her to Transformers the movie because that was definitely a made her watch type situation as mm-hmm. is Digimon the movie right like and which I apologize sincerely Marjorie I am sorry that I did that to you oh uh, I watched Witches of Eastwick when I was like nine and it was holy like, shit and it was like foundational partially because it's one of those movies where soundtrack just fucking goes hard. How did you say that? Okay, okay. I'm going to check out of this conversation momentarily. Marjorie and Jed, could you just talk about Witches of Eastwick for a second? Because I feel like I don't understand something. Fucking Sean here saying John Williams didn't go hard on something. He even, like, mentioned, he, like, saw in the credits that it was John Williams. And, like, and then he was like, why is Industrial Light and Magic working on this? And it's like, dude, this was a big deal. Like, this film was a thing. Yeah, it was... And it was by fucking George Miller. This dude was all like, I need Jack Nicholson to fuck so I can make Fury Road. <laughs> Holy shit. I am collapsing into a black hole right now. I am the fucking single atom of width for my whole atomic mass. I think you're just really mad to share and Jack Nicholson shared a fucking scene together. I think I am. He's real mad about Cher. He's like, Cher is the weakest link. I hate Cher in this movie. The The best line was this, the line that Cher did not say, which was Cher asked uh, Susan Sarandon and Michelle Pfeiffer, what did we do last week? Ancient Chinese uh, aphrodisiac cooking. Fuck yeah, it's so good. Oh my god. That- the movie is kind of cheesy, but mm-hmm. it's also carried by Jack Nicholson in the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, him he, throwing up cherry stems was amazing. Yeah, and and the woman who did it first that he made throw up the cherry stems before the ladies, the the Michelle Pfeiffer's and the Susan Sarandons and the shares made him throw it up. She's in like every horror movie ever. She's like horror movie royalty. I forget the actress's name, but the prudish woman who is the neighbor who who hates the witches and stuff and is like the anointed by God to take them down and just sucks really bad at like finding John Constantine. I'm Googling 13 Ghosts right now so I can know who the actress name is. Yeah, Sean made me watch Matilda. No, not not a, you know, you pick the movie, Sean. It was I like, no, I'm putting believe, it on. I actually can't believe you haven't. Did you at least read Matilda? No, Sean, John doesn't believe that I had no Roald Dahl in my childhood. I was like a Madeline Lingle girl. I was like a Narnia girl. I was like a girl with the silver eyes and changeling and all sorts of obscure like little... I, I did Anne of Green Gables. I did the whole like 
Gato Del Pantheon, Gary Paulson, but no, no Raw Doll. I'm sorry. No Raw Doll. Interesting. So, Sean, we're voting her off the podcast, right? <laughs> no, it's just like, just like the thing is, Marjorie did read all of this stuff exactly adjacent to Raw Doll. And I think it's an omission by like whoever was her like writingologist, I, right? Yeah, no, like, like Raw Doll would have like changed her life. Like, I think. But the bigger thing is, I don't think Roald Dahl would have changed Marjorie's life because you read so many things that were adjacent to Roald Dahl, for instance. No, again, I think the missing whole, link is Roald Dahl. I, I think she needed to read about. OK. So first of all, Matilda was like life changing. when We were kids. Uh, <laughs> second of all, uh, there's this great interview with him. I think it's on the BBC where he shows his writing station and it's this little shack behind his house. And he just goes and grabs like little wooden board and puts it over his fucking uh his lap and starts writing like well this is where right this is what magic happens that's where a goat came in and shit on my uh on my rug i usually don't clean in here but after a couple days i went well nobody seems to be cleaning up the goat shit so i swept up the goat shit (laughs) (laughs) my my adult impression of matilda of not seeing as a child not reading as a child seeing it as an adult my impression was that Mrs. Honey or Ms. Honey, the teacher, the good, wonderful teacher, was the girl that explained all the occult nonsense in 13 Ghosts, and that's how I know her. That is like the ur text for that actress to me. So all the whole time I was like waiting for Tony Shalhoub to like show up and her to explain like the machine powered by the dead and run by the damned or whatever with the, the, the dire mother. <laughs> the broken Sean, princess. Sean is going to get mad at me for saying this. But 13 Ghosts is proof that acting is mana, and F. Murray Abraham spent it all on Amadeus. Mm, I don't think you're wrong, right? Because, like, where is Tony Shalhoub's mana? It's definitely not in Men in Black, right? Like, not Men in Black 2, I mean, right? Where he gets his head blown off by uh, Agent K. That uh, was... That, by the way, followed me throughout Final Fantasy XIV, by the way. Like, did it every really? time, Yeah, every single time uh, Emmett Selk was on scene. I expected his head to get blown off, and it pans over to Sankrid smoking gunblade. Mm. And then Emmett Selk was going to go black, go back to his head, going, "You son of a bitching scions! Do you have an idea how much that stings?" <laughs> and he's like, "It grows back." And then Yishtola turns back to Thancred and Min, like, "You didn't know it grows back, yeah? Right? Is it perhaps Shannon Elizabeth, who is the the woman in between Thirteen Ghosts and uh, Matilda?" No, Shannon Elizabeth is like the the younger girl who does the Noxtema face washing scene with the like ghost that's dead in the bathtub. Like that's the that's Shannon Elizabeth. The the other girl has got the shorter hair and like knows Matthew Lillard, aka Scooby. Shaggy, uh, dude. He doesn't play Scooby. He plays Shaggy. Come the, on, the Scooby guy, the guy from the Scooby movie. It, it's uh. Emma's Gene Davids. Oh, okay. That from makes such more sense. movies as Army of. Okay, what a fucking. Uh, what a career, let's say. Army of Darkness. Hell yeah. Matilda. Perfect movie. Bicentennial Man. Okay. Acceptable movie in the canon. Mad Men. Really? Schindler's what did she do in Mad Men? Holy shit, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah man, that's the pump the fucking brakes on that one, right? Where you're like... Not just, not just in Schindler's List. She wasn't just like one of the victims of background. She was fucking Helen Hirsch. No fucking way. Okay. Marjorie, we might have to rewatch Schindler's List. I don't want to do that, but we're going <laughs> to. 
it's on my list at work. If I was going to like read it for money, it's on the list. The book? Oof. The book is on the list, man. It's probably too long now. I'm, I'm currently no, the book, reading too no, long. The book is really short. Okay. Uh, oh, turns, well, then maybe. Okay, so it turned... God, this, this will link back to the beginning of the podcast. The Holocaust kind of speaks for itself. Yeah, <laughs> fucking yes. Good God. All right. Uh, well, I, I am currently reading not about the Holocaust, but I'm reading about girls, ladies, women dancing for cows, Highland cattle specifically, in in the old Mary England who we hate. Yes, but also it's kind of fascist, because what was that quote about death you said? It's all about death. It's so much about death. And, and it's uh, this is D.H. Uh, Lawrence, um, Women in Love, by the way, if anyone's curious about like... I didn't expect D.H. Lawrence to be this much of a fascist, but he's kind of has serious fascist tendencies from the... There, frozen, but... Yeah, this kind of links MJ... Um, how adjacent are vampires to witches? I had this whole like thing that I theory that I passed through when I was doing. I know what you did last summer. That people who do like who are connected to I know what you did last summer and Scream and like Dawson's Creek and shit like that end up in vampire stuff. Like the Dawson's Creek writer ended up becoming the Vampire Diaries writer, like Kevin Williamson. Like there is a, a direct pipeline from like horror movies in like the late 90s early 2000s to very very successful things to twilight like the producer one of the producers of i know what you did last summer ended up producing all of the twilight films all of the hunger games films so that the my theory on vampires now is they come from teenagers and they come from these dudes in hollywood you've helped inspire my next work now that most noble animal is done <laughs> uh, least noble animal <laughs> Yeah, because vampires are the least noble animal. You exist outside the grace of God, you fucking animals. Um, actually, no, they're not animals. They're corpses. Uh, mm -hmm. No, but... Uh, okay, there there was this entire time... We're going to make this a true St. Patrick's Day episode by talking about zombies for a second. Oh, boy. Uh, we went through this entire phase of zombies, and we didn't get a single movie about zombies as we know them. Right, it, we went through like a ten-year zombie craze. I'm sure you guys remember that. And they kept releasing new zombie movies, but everyone's like, "And now my new take on zombies." And so we just didn't like Shaun of the Dead was the only zombie movie we got in the entire fucking zombie craze. Yeah, Simon Pig came out with that big article about how zombies should be slow. The fast zombies yeah. are wrong. Yeah, and like Land of the Dead comes out courtesy of George Romero, uh, and. He's all like, we're going to take zombies back to what they are. Oh, what what do zombies do? Squad-based tactics and firearms. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's that's not zombies at all. But related to that, I am like really fatigued by Western writers who all think that the only way to tell a good story is to color outside the lines. Mm -hmm. Um. So I kind of want to like return to form and be like, no, vampires are this. I want to write a story about vampires in the realm of vampire lore. Well, Sheridan, Sheridan Camilla is is the one that was ripped off by Bram Stoker for Dracula. And so, like, the core of vampires for me, well, even before that, we have Holdridge's story, um, well, poem story. It's in, it's in verse. But, like, Holdridge writes about vampires in Christabel, which is Geraldine is the vampire, Christabel is the girl. And this he was even before um, Sheridan wrote Camilla. 
And so it's well, lesbianism. I mean, Vampires is rooted in lesbian. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say is that like fucking the, the fundamental unit of vampire is just being super gay, right? <laughs> well, let's – so that that's a great opportunity for me to see. So I shit on Western writers not, but I'm not a weeb. And Sean mm-hmm. went on like a passionate defense of why I'm not a weeb on our mm-hmm. sister podcast. But I'm I'm like literally not a weeb, but Western writers are shit in video games especially and oftentimes in movies and like Eastern and especially Japanese writers because of the culture of how they approach the craft are just way fucking better at it. Um, I think that the it, biggest idea that's distinct there is the comprehensibility of novelty as concept. Yeah. Right? So for instance, like Western culture values novelty as a concept doesn't really give an outlet for novelty as function. Right. So people will be creating novelty that's just rehash of rehash of rehash of rehash. But because it's not the exact duplicate of the last thing to arrive, it's considered novelty. Right. And this is where zombies come in. Because if you didn't do the thing that the last zombie movie did, well, then it's novel, even if what you've done is not fucking new under the sun. Right. right? So, so the best comparison I can make is Oliver Stone's script about Conan the Barbarian versus, uh, Miyazaki of Dark Souls, right? Mm. And Oliver Stone said, yeah, when I wrote the script, I was thinking like Dante's Inferno, but I was really into like genetics and DNA and cloning when I wrote it. I'm like, really? In 1979, you should have told the FBI and the Innocence Project about Yeah, that probably would have helped, honestly. (laughs) Uh, A lot of people on death row write that, right? Like, Like something like... 45 out of 50 states were doing the death penalty, but that's cool, Oliver Stone. Keep rolling. But then I look, and it's like, okay, well, also none of that has anything to do with Conan the Barbarian, let alone, like, the implication of you discovering DNA before the scientific community did. Mm -hmm. But then I look over at Miyazaki, and he made Bloodborne, and his stance was, I liked Dracula, and I liked Lovecraft. <laughs> a lot, yeah. yeah, and, like, Bloodborne is literally just, like, what if Lovecraft invaded Dracula? And, by the way, those of you that are like, yeah, no, I saw Dracula, that's where Keanu Reeves goes to Transylvania. No, Dracula is a lot more about real estate investments than you think it is. It's, it's really about how Van Helsing cannot speak good English. If you actually read Bram Stoker's Dracula, there are pages and pages and pages of, like, vampire bible like how vampires function written in really bad grammar because he's not english he's german right he's it's so racist against germans is the thing right like it's that uniquely british racism during that time in britain there was a thing called the german panic where just out of nowhere in like 1882 or whatever they thought germany was going to invade them for some reason well that's what hg wells's war of the world was about right that like after a million invasion stories about like germany crossing the fucking channel after invading france suddenly they're like what if it was fucking aliens bro and suddenly the british public loses their fucking minds right right but so I, also van helsing He's a lot less cool than Hugh Jackman made him seem. No, absolutely. <laughs> like he is not he is not a bloodborne character. No, he's really annoying and he's boring and he tells you what Sheridan told you in Carmilla, which was came out a long long time before fucking Dracula did and Dracula just ripped it off. So it's well, he, doesn't, not he only, doesn't he only end up uh, it's been a long, long time. Doesn't he only like end up k- 
killing or attacking Dracula because he like drew the short straw. Yeah, he's not like a, a good dude and he's not brave. He's just like really bad at English. And that's what like you get is like, this is how you killed the vampire in like really bad English. Well, this is how you kill the vampire in like a very hacky, like fake German accented English. Mm-hmm. Um, so the primary objectives are killing the vampire. The vampire, right? And you're like, speak English, man. Right. Uh, and also, um, the novel Dracula is way more concerned with two things. One, the epistolary form. Two, rivers. It's fucking obsessed with rivers last time I read it, right? Like, it was like, my God, he can't cross this next river, so we'll have to ambush him here. Fuck, he got across the river. Apparently, someone put him in a coffin and loaded him across the bridge. I wish we had blown up the bridge. Oh, well, next time we'll get you, what? So, what is, like, the provenance of the vampires can't cross water shit? Well, it's just, like, um, the nature of baptism, right? Like, it's back to Catholicism where it says that, like, Water is the provenance of God, right? Not of man. And that when you go into water, you set your your destiny unto God, right? Uh, Dracula makes it specific where it says, like, you can't be awake when you're crossing in the realm. I see. I see. So I'm I'm going to gush about something really fucking random for a second. I hope you don't mind. No, go ahead. Uh, Fan fiction used to be better. Used to be better. All right, that's an interesting thesis. Proceed. The the thesis is based on the fact that fan fiction in the early days, about 2000 to 2003, like that very specific era, mm. was full of people who had potential but didn't have faith in the publishing industry, and the internet had really super taken off yet. It was just starting to take off, right? Mm. Uh, the bubble had just popped. We were no longer getting pop-up ads. It was a new era. Um, And I remember uh, I found an old fan fiction not too long ago. This is like a Paleolithic style fan fiction compared to like the Internet. And I was looking at it and I went, no, this actually is legitimately better than the shit that I read now. What happened? And I went on like big, long research fucking thing. And what you basically have is like people that are making $10,000 a month off of like Amazon kdp or whatever mm-hmm. those are the fan fiction writers of 2000 2003 mm-hmm. and they were just looking for outlets and in in this old game that some of you may have played called everquest uh there was this guy who used to write fan fiction about his wood elf oc character but he decided that he was going to be a vampire and this sounds like the stupidest shit you've ever seen or ever heard but he wrote like really eloquently, keeping all of like the old myths about vampires in case. And it was kind of like this monster of the week story about how he's just trying to kind of do things with his family. But because he's a vampire, people just assume he can solve every mystery. And he's all like, I, I just blow up when i see the sun i'm not like a master of forensics but none of us are vampires fine i'll fucking solve your mystery jesus christ like it was really really good um and like i i kind of miss that era because nowadays it's all like so like i don't know what if like an elf okay i'm following sucked a lot of dicks like (laughs) a lot uh, and some of them, some of them are from Mass Effect, like a Turian dick. 
Okay, how is the well, jury in there? Portals. Well, <laughs> MJ, I think you can testify that most fanfic written in this era wasn't put on the internet. So the ones that were put on the internet are like rarefied to a certain degree, right? Yeah, I'm not sure the date of when like AO3 came about, but it was like, I, I'm still thinking back on the early days of like X Files fan fiction, which was in like no, the. That's exactly the right era, right? Yeah, that. that we have the forums, we have the Scully is sad fan fictions of like she never gets out and does anything, and Scully and Mulder hooking up. And those were on like forums, but you had to like find them. They were not like searchable like AO3 or. Um, even remotely close to organizers, like navigatable. Like you did have some little like gifs that would dance, and like we had some text, but like it was like in your angel fire or your circle of websites or something. All of which are dead now, right? Because mm-hmm. all the angel fires are dead. All the web circles are dead, right? Uh, you know what? Except that great ninja one. Um, mm-hmm. uh, no. The official that- ninja homepage of real ultimate power. Wow. Okay. That takes me kind of back. But yes, this is before my era of fanfic. So yes, most of the fanfic was conducted in eras in which people didn't use the internet to that degree. Right? They used like their web rings like on a very personal basis and not like an exterior focused way because we weren't in a, a platform specific sort of era of the internet. So people weren't interested in it. Millions of people could read their fanfic as much as they could have their eight friends read their fanfic and edit it on an ongoing basis, right? Yeah, and it, it it's kind of sad because, like, if you go look at archive of our own, like, you guys may be Hugo Award winners, but you suck. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate, <laughs> but I think that there's a culling effect that's in play because, like, Marjorie, you wrote fanfics, right? I did. I, I wrote some very, very bad fanfics back any, in the day. Okay, any author that has had money paid... Okay. Everybody's written fanfiction. Everybody. If you think Brandon Sanderson hasn't, shut the fuck up. Just shut mm-hmm. the fuck yeah. up. You're wrong. Okay, everybody's written fanfiction. If you go to your artist friend who like works for a major company and you go check his portfolio from when he was 16, his favorite video He's got the Gmon in it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no. His favorite his favorite video game characters get fucked somewhere in his portfolio. Shut oh, the fuck yeah. up. You know it's happening. Right? Yeah, but my yeah. premise is that like when Marjorie was writing fanfic, and correct me if I'm wrong, you weren't posting it online, you were writing it down, and the very, very best of them might get transcribed by someone in your circle to go online, right? Yeah, we just shared spiral bound notebooks and wrote shit together into each other. Because I'm that old. Was, I'm sorry. This is like, I guess this is where this conversation is going. It's like, I'm old. I wrote things on paper and then I gave the notebook to my friends and they continued to write on the paper and then gave it back to me or another friend. And well, it's just the premise really of why fanfic might have been better qualitatively back in the day rather than like now is because you didn't have to sort through the shit that you guys only put up what was like fucking the hottest absolute shit you made, right? Rather than every fucking like, Ryoga RP session, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, every I I will never forgive that one person that was like, I'm an excellent writer. When I used to role play with a woman older than me that was interested in my personality and my writing, I used to sometimes write paragraphs. You fucking aged me like three years instantly <laughs> by saying that. 
But yes, I feel like I'm running into life force on a tremendous yeah, basis. No, it's totally fine. We've actually gone too far. Next episode, we will talk about both Gaius Van Belsar, Black Wolf of the 14th Legion, and subreddits and the terrible advice that they give, including Christ, my man, Max McCarthy. I collected a whole bunch of author subreddits for this, as well as authorial conspiracy theories, and I talked about none of them. Marjorie, do you have well, any we... notes you want to send us out on? No. <laughs> you got it. MJ, the ever gregarious. <laughs> All right. So next episode will be, as Chad discussed, a to the people. So if you want to submit to that, join the Discord, which will be in the link in the description, the link tree, which will also have all of our socials if you want to follow us. But if you want to also give us a like, leave a review, maybe send us to a friend who's interested in people shitposting at a long-form basis while driving on a road trip, this is an excellent time to do so, and we would tremendously appreciate it. But above all else, we hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.